I eat a fry every day this summer. Go for that building site. You know, now again, we didn't mean, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, the food, the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's Tuesday morning, it's half past seven. Column is back. Column, good morning to you. Jared Owen, hello. Oh, 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 yeah, too busy drinking there, sorry. Cut off guard. Like person coming in here at half past seven, like feeling, looking groggy, sounding groggy, unbelievable. Whoa, 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 that's an attack. Just, First of all, on me, I sound great. Absolute disgrace. I sound very good. Now, show. what usually happens there is there, you say something witty to the camera, just on your own. Then you go to Owen. Then you have a little bit of a talk. Then you come to me. Totally caught off guard. That's not what we rehearsed. That's why I took the sip of water. We, we don't rehearse. That's, the, that's what we rehearse every day. That's how things work around here. Um, you do sound a little bit croaky. You were obviously at a wedding, at one of those two-day rollovers, was it? You were, you were doing your supersonic Liam Gallagher late in the morning impressions again, were you? No. no. Ooh, what's this? Oh, he likes, to, he likes to crack out the guitar. No and, way. And, You're and a guitar at a party guy. Murder a ballad or two. No. There was a member of uh, Team OTB I was at an event with. He stands and sings with his chin up. Who cracked, <laughs> who cracked out the guitar. Uh, obviously, there's video footage of it. Uh, it was taken within the last 12 months. Uh, said person performed a song, and I simply sang along with the crowd. There's uh, Why are you talking about this false, guy if he's like fake news. Nathan is the said. guitarist. Uh, yeah, it's, it's okay to name him. Because Nathan like casually leaves the guitar over his shoulder. He's got a picture of Shane Lowry on one wall and a guitar over the other one, desperately hoping that we'll ask him about both. Yeah. You know, his friendship with Shane Lowry. And his guitar playing exploits. So it's funny how you turn this into a, an opportunity to try and uh, slaughter Nathan. Anyway, you're welcome, Colm. The reason that we're here, that you're here in particular, is so that we can pick over the coals of the. Um, uh, 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 are the Man United fans going to abandon ship here? Is this the point where they stop being a super club and they start being like Spurs? You know, once a once great thing, or maybe Arsenal for the last decade. These are the Arsenal. This is Liverpool circa Roy Evans. Why would they abandon ship now? Who I mean, there's nothing different that's happening now within the last nine years, really. But I tell you... Well, the distance from glory gets longer and longer and longer. Well, not necessarily. I tell you, Eric Ten Hag was never hotter than he was on Saturday night when the dance floor was packed at that wedding because there was so much on the horizon. It was a beautiful night. It was like, tomorrow's the start of a new era. Fred the Red, the high five. That's, you know? that's going to be the abiding memory of the... And it could be. Uh, Alex Ferguson, I saw The Guardian this morning, uh, we're doing column on the last six first uh, matches of United Managers. Alex Ferguson's first uh, oh, match. Like, I mean, this, I was, 2-0 defeat to Oxford. I was going to put 2-0 loss to Oxford in the league. I was going to tweet that on Sunday, be like, uh, well, remember the little known statistic that Alex Ferguson's uh, career got off to a it's slow true. start. It's absolutely, United. absolutely true. So, look, this can happen. And maybe in many ways, Eric Ten Hag starting 11 against Brighton and Hove Albion was a protest 11. Sure. We've, you know? we've seen so, maybe this is for uh, the greater good in the grand scheme of things that it would be. This will be used as a reference point six months down the line, 12 months, 18 months when you're challenging for the title. Do you remember the Nadir of the opening day of the 2022 23 campaign? And look where we are now, guys. Yeah, I look. You know? I, I That's actually, the way to look at this. I, do, I think that there's probably a little bit of truth in that the remedial work that's going to happen on the squad will be swift and relatively brutal. When you consider the amount of players who left over the summer the dressing room must be a much smaller yep. younger more interesting and vibrant place they just need some people to come in who aren't stinking the joint out like Cristiano Ronaldo who have some confidence unlike at the moment uh, 
Jaden Sancho, for example, who doesn't look like he's got confidence, it's not just Marcus Rashford who's suffering. So, but as a Man United fan, mm. how does it feel? Well, it wasn't anything too surprising. I mean, this same United side... It's very surprising. You can't, you can't say that. Yeah, no, that's not this true. This same United side lost to Brighton as recently as May. I know. Comprehensively. Not, it was not. actually an improved defeat. Yeah, but that, that was, was Ralph Rannick, who, who was phoning it in, apparently, who was a, a terrible... Well, according to Ten Hag, did a terrible job. Of course, Ten Hag refused to meet with it. Ralph Rannick in the off-season, refused to take on board all his... Uh, the, the minutes that he audited over the course of his six months at the, the club. So... No, it's just, look, there's a few key personnel need changing because if you actually write down your starting 11 for United, like I was challenging you to do at Arsenal the last couple of weeks twice, and you named your starting 11, they want, you know, if you actually name it, it's not so bad, the United 11, but it just depends on the combination. Hmm? What's your 11 right now? Say say everybody's fit. Everyone's fit. Yeah. And it's Rabiot and Arnautovic included. Let's, yeah. We'll give you them, yeah. yeah. Thanks very much. Okay, they're on the team. So De Gea in goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Left back is Shaw. Right back is like right back's a big problem. Right back, like right back's not talked about enough. About, like a huge issue. Like there's a lot made of how crap Aaron Wan-Bissaka is. In fairness, I'd a lot, go, a lot I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably just go the low, just uh, centre halves. I'd try Varane and Martinez and leave out Maguire. I mean, that's, that's the obvious thing to do here, I'd, isn't it? You know, I'd leave out Maguire. I really would. Are we a couple of weeks away from that, do you think? Are you, are, do you no, I, I think he'll persevere with Maguire because of the fact, will. no, that he, he's actually retained him as captain. I think Ten Hag will think that, oh, this doesn't look great in me if I've backed him as captain and I'm going to drop him after the game. Why did you back whatever. him? Why, like he was, it was the one thing that he made very clear. It was even more clear than the Ronaldo situation a few weeks ago where he was like, Maguire's my captain. And yeah. uh, I was surprised I, that he was underrated. I, I was surprised. I, really, I actually really did think he was going to go in a different direction with campus. Now, the problem is at Manchester United and actually at other clubs is that there is probably an absence and a paucity of leadership individual leadership in the teams. I mean, Martin Odegaard wouldn't strike you as a leader per se, but obviously, you know, he's a great player and he's also the captain of Norway. But I suppose he just about sticks out among everyone else. And with United, you're thinking, geez, if it's there? not Maguire, like, like the whole issue was Ronaldo really wanted a captaincy last season, didn't get it. So then you're thinking De Gea? Yeah, De Gea. Like that, he's not exactly inspirational either. They've so got to get rid of De Gea. They've got to get rid of Maguire. I, I take Maguire out of the team. Um, and then the, mid, the midfield is a massive problem, like a huge, huge problem. So Rabiot probably starts and you're nearly getting Ericsson to play as a deep-lying holding so midfielder. Fred is gone. Yeah, oh, I'd Fred and McTominay just for at least for a while, lads. At least for our not I'd even one of them. Like, is, is the problem sometimes not just that they're they're both in the pitch? And they're actually, do you know what? Statistically, as a duo, statistically as a duo, they're not so bad historically. Yeah. but it's just it, I suppose it's more that they're the symbol of what's gone wrong in the last couple of years. And often, look, they're vilified unfairly, but they were, they were poor at the weekend. And I do think that they need to be removed from this team. So this team can move forward. So I actually would have Ericsson in a deep-lying role. Rabiot next to him. I mean, I'm unconvinced as I say it. And then maybe Fernandez the head of that three. And then that's the front a fun three. midfield. Rabiot, Fernandez. Yeah, exactly. Ericsson, I mean, that, it, 100%. It's not exactly what you call uh, reliable in a tough match. But then, in theory... It's, it's a great footballing site. What did you call it on? 
lean into the banter era. Is it? Like that's that's the point. Of and then the front three would be uh, definitely Jaden Sancho. There's a hell of a player in Sancho, as we well know, if he has a bit of confidence. Is there a hell of a player? Oh yeah, just de- oh, he's definitely. Yeah. I, I thought last season. There is, I think. Other I, other great players who have arrived, massive reputations from the Bundesliga. Timo Werner, yeah, come on down, Timo. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Besides no. uh, Jaden Sancho, don't here. bring Timo into this. Why aren't they playing him? He's so great. England, why aren't they playing Jaden Sancho? He's amazing. Wait until you see what he does. He's going to rip it up in the Premier League. Is he? Is he? Is he? Did he? Is he? No. What if he's a bust? Uh, you just said a moment ago he's short on confidence, which I think is the truth. Yeah, that's but the... Maybe you don't get it back. You don't. There's no guarantee. Like, it's not a... You can't plug it in. You can't recharge it. I know. You can't. I mean, you, you can work, you can work on so far. It's absolutely... Jaden Sancho is a bust. He is now trying to come back from being I don't think a he bust. Is. I don't think he's he, a bust. He's at 100% all. I don't a bust. think so. He's a complete waste so. of money so far. No, not in comparison to the rest of the United players. That, that's what you have to go by. No, Comparatively, no, 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 he is no. not a bust. That is he is not, not a bust. That is not who you have to go by. You've got to go it by is. all of the other signings that have been made in the Premier League in the period of time who cost something similar in terms of that amount of money. He is a bust. He's not. He just if, hasn't taken off. No, he's no, not a failure. No, He had moments last season. Chelsea away. He was very, very good in that game. I'm telling you, you need those little moments. That's what yeah. it is. It's but, a mirage. But you're talking that you have to. I'm put not in the saying his entire his career size. is going to be a bust, but so far he is a bust. He's not. There is no ifs ands and buts. He, he, like he's not this, a bust. This, okay, you're still a fan. You have not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm lucky. I get it. I get as it, as objectively That's, as I can, you're not. There's a hell of a player in there. I'm telling you, he comparatively to say Marcus Rashford, who has completely gone under. Where's your evidence for that? Chelsea last season away. And it's one game, and that's actually right. okay, sufficient. So you have to put in the context of that game of for those of us who weren't watching Chelsea Manchester United last season and don't remember the ins and outs of Jaden Sancho's brilliant performance, which is the. I never uh, said it was brilliant. You, it was good. Uh, well, it was, it was well, good. How much did they spend on him? It was eighty, I think, wasn't it? In the end, um, look, I I think Bust is way too strong. At, way at present, strong. he is a he, bust. No, he's just he's like a six, seven out of ten, and his is capability he? of being is he, is, an eight or nine. Is he yeah. a six, seven out of ten? He's not like he's had. Mr. Dependable Dennis Irwin, seven out of ten. He's had games where he's been quiet. Give me Dennis games. Irwin week in, week out but, instead of that guy. No, no. I'm talking from an attacking perspective. He is like Sancho is definitely not a problem at United, and you have to put it in the context of this current United side. I'm not saying Sancho gets into the 0708 team or 98, 99, nothing like that. But, lads, like you're looking around for attacking options for Manchester United and Jadon Sancho is not a problem. Put him in the team. He is That's not an issue. The problem we have on the other side is Marcus Rashford, who hasn't played well in an awfully long time. And then we're putting way too much uh, emphasis on Anthony Martial, who's consistently proven that he's inconsistent. And then we have the only option at centre-forward is a guy who does not want to be there and the club don't want him. So it's a huge issue to the final third. I actually, you know, the final third and right back Huge problems. Can, can I just, centre mid, we can act, you can actually change centre mid. Not exactly a convincing midfield, but you can change it. Can I just ask on the Sancho question, what do we expect him to be when he comes good? Do we expect him to be a goal-scoring right forward? Or do we expect him to be a traditional right winger who will be getting assists? Because if you go back to one of his top-scoring Bundesliga seasons, 19-20, 
he was third top scorer that season. He scored 17 goals in the German league. Uh, in second place was Timo Werner with 28. And the top was Robert Lewandowski with 34. But obviously you're not comparing like with like there. Like he scored more goals than Veghorst uh, that season, more goals than Haaland. But that was only Haaland's, I think only maybe half a season that year. But um, it, like, do we, do we expect him to be somebody who can like score 17 goals in a domestic season? Again, basically, like a, a, a Mo Salah-esque goal scorer. And, I would have said Sadio, degree. Sadio Mane. Right? Isn't that what he's supposed to be? Uh, I would have thought so. I would have thought to be in the so, Sadio Mane. No, I, w- I would say, I think that's a good question. I think more assists than goals, but I would like to see him chip in with, uh, like, kind of flirting with double figures with goals, but definitely assists would be well up there at top of the league, like top three assists in the league is what I would expect from Sancho. And I, I actually think it's Part unfortunate. For, I, think, I actually think Sancho, uh, playing with the club that he started with, with Manchester City, I think he'd be sensational in that kind of system under Pep Guardiola because Sancho is a player who uh, thrives under detail and hopefully over time that Eriton High can actually get that out of him. I, I have huge hopes for Sancho if they get a bit of confidence If he gets it out of him, yeah. he is recovering from the situation where he is now a bust. He's a, he's a bust by association but not as an individual player. Well, he's not having that at all. He's okay. really not that bad. OK, so you, you, still, you still have hope. Where, where are Manchester United going to finish this season, Colm? Fifth. Who's going to finish sixth? You're last. I actually I don't think that that's a surprising take. Like, I mean, everybody's like, oh, look at this guy coming in and trolling. I actually, I don't, I don't think there's, a, I, I think I can, I can see Arsenal not um, not delivering on, on some promises well after. Well, well, on the well where would Arsenal fall short? What would be the problem with Arsenal? Because they've started very well and they have improved their squad. Some midfield. Off, off-field issues, perhaps. Yeah, midfield. Uh... And I think that was an issue last season, even when everybody was fit. Um, and Arsenal being Arsenal, but I like I think the the most surprising element of that there's two things that need to happen there mm-hmm. for Manchester United actually to be good enough to finish uh, fifth, and then also for Arsenal to falter. Which I think the second part of that is not that surprising. But for Manchester United to go and put a run together with a team that looks like the one they have now and come fifth, that's that's an okay return. Yeah, I, I mean that's the thing. Like there is, is there an overreaction to the Brighton game? No, not really, because it follows a pattern. But can he, can Ten Hag change it? And I think he can. I, 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 lads, it's not going to be pretty. Like, I don't think we're going to look back at this season with any great joy either when it comes to the end of it. But I do envision an improvement along the way. Like, he's not going to consistently lose at home to a side they should be beating. Like, he will improve the squad. But fifth by, geez, almost by default, though. Like, because I don't think that there's any, there's like eight more than four sides better than United. Eight. Who eight? They could easily finish eight. Who's fifth to seven? Fifth by default is a bit strong now. Yeah, fifth like, by default is like completely. Newcastle, okay, Newcastle at the moment. Like no, no, Manchester no, no, United Newcastle, and Newcastle could finish ahead of them easily. So no. Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, third Manchester fourth, City. Yeah. Right, it's definitely four. There's, there's four definitely better. Yeah. Arsenal could easily finish ahead of them. Uh, West Ham are going to finish close to them. No, 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 potentially. No. I mean, how how good are Brighton going to be for the rest of the season? I'm not sure. Do you Probably think they unlikely. get a point at Brentford this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they'll win yeah, that game. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I think they'll. Win. I think they'll beat Brentford, and then they'll lose to Liverpool, and then it'll be okay. One from three. Is that the international break? No, it's late, much later, isn't it? This September, season? Yeah. I think. Yeah, late end of September. So yeah, they have a good few games into the international break. They'll probably be fifty-fifty record going into winter, and so there'll be no strong take from United. It's probably 
February, March onwards, you're looking for a strong end to the season. But like you were going through like West Ham, Newcastle, I don't even think you believe that. I, you d- say I, d- I, don't, I don't believe you that. You know, like sure, very good chance Newcastle finish no, ahead of Manchester United so. this season. We've had this conversation. It, this, no, conversation I think the, that conversation. I think no. at the end of last season yeah, that would have seemed reasonable, it. but Newcastle summer hasn't been as as impressive as, as I expected it. To be. Yeah, he's, Eddie Howe's done a great job there, but it's it's funny for a league that's so strong and so many great individuals, best league in the world, and all that. There's actually a lot of poor sides. And I think that um, there are only a, basically a handful of sides better than United. And that's not saying much for the league. You we'll know? see. We'll see. Absolutely, we'll see. That's, you know, the, the, that's the joy the, of it. We will see. The Manchester United team that you're giving credit for as like a better than that side and that side and that side. It's like, well, where are they? Where have they been? Where are those results coming from? Like everybody is breaking their duck at Old Trafford at the moment. Villa broke their duck at but Old where, Trafford in the last two seasons. But where I'm talking about United finishing is roughly where they have finished for the last nine years. And that's at least so, and it's like a better squad now than it was at times in the last few years. So I don't think it's an outrageous take to say that they're it's going to finish fifth or squad. sixth. The squad has not been improved this summer. How has the squad been improved? Well, how has it been worsened? Well, Paul Pogba left, but the sure Paul Pogba apparently was the big issue. So well, wasn't that an improvement? Well, so you you're you you're not believing that you don't believe that you're like saying that. But that's I don't. How is it weakened? Uh, has it weakened by the fact that there's far less depth there now? Than there was. I don't. I mean, I don't. I think that they needed to get rid of those players for various reasons. They were underperforming. Yeah. But that's not to say that a good manager wouldn't have been able to come in and get something out of Paul Pogba, who was influencing games. I think the the really big issue is centre forward now because I don't know what they're going to do with Cristiano Ronaldo. I I feel like he might leave in deadline day. Be one of those ones where he does they yeah. terminate the contract on deadline day. Go to Sporting Lisbon, right? That's what Sporting. Yeah. Well, your yeah. point about Sancho, you want him to get like. 15 assists a season who's going to assist who is he going to assist and I think that is part of that issue Uh, definitely yeah and look Arnautovic maybe we're having a problem with your mic there Colin but um, so basically we're shutting you up at this stage we've had enough Manchester United content the the, the fans the fans the uh, our listeners and and users are like not enough we've had enough of this and then some people are like we haven't had enough Manchester United keep going we're one and a half days into the new season we're going to talk to Justin Marshall, the former All Black, at 8 o'clock. Sam Lee is going to give us a Manchester City perspective at 8.25. We're bringing the sports news at 8.45. And Danny's going to give us uh, her thoughts after the Kilkenny homecoming as the Camogie All-Ireland champions. Phil Thompson's going to join us a day late uh, at 10 past 9. And Sarah Donovan going to talk about the Camogie at half past 9 as well. At 7.47, we're going to talk about the managerial merry-go-round. We had called for Kilku to shit or get off the pot, and they have. Like, you did, yeah. They're in, they're, they've, they've come good. So, Conor Laverty's been appointed. I'm genuinely excited about this. I think, uh, down apart from their cool jerseys, there's like a nice, something important about down being good. Up, down. Kieran McGean, it's been a good week for down. Yeah. Certainly has. Uh, I would say that there probably is going to be a more memorable interview done in GEA or a more quotable one done than the Emin Brannigan interview which now is just has been given a, a second installation a second season because as part of his interview when he kind of slammed the, the current management and the current setup during the, the previous season he said maybe if there was a different manager Conor Laverty took over the under 20s and was the first Ulster did one in years he made it pretty clear that he would be the guy that he wanted installed there and you would think that that is probably uh, a, a prevailing thought throughout Kilku and there will be more Kilku players playing for that down team next year and as a result down will be a better football team yeah and like we saw what happened in you know in Derry it took a couple of years for the uh, Schlock Neil and everybody else to get back together having an impact uh, the split season is definitely going to help with this stuff you can play football for Kilku 
uh, unfettered by intercounty demands, and then you can use your good form to roll into next season. So I, I you know, genuinely really hope that they're going to be good. Loads of other jobs still out there. Uh, Mickey Graham has gone back to Cavan. That uh, came through overnight. The runners and riders for the Mayo race are much more clearer now. There are four remaining. The strong suspicion is that uh, Solon's going to get the gig, mm. but there's been a dream team assembled by Kevin McStay. Well, you could say is, is uh, Solon's team also a dream team? It's so a bit of a dream team, It's yeah. a, a no work game in O'Hara and Mark Ronaldson alongside him. And uh, there is some suggestion out there that they might be the front runners for this. It's always a pretty foolish act to predict what Mayo are going to do or what, what way they might act. But the Kevin McStay ticket is strong. Lee McHale obviously is on that ticket as you would expect but also Stephen Rochford and Donny Buckley on the ticket alongside him that's a hard one to turn down uh, I mean that would be great I'd love to see that uh, nothing against Solon at all he seems like a really high end high achiever an All-Ireland winner great fella like the under 20s yeah or so like um, is there any any possibility that they could like we could run a simulation and they could both get the gig <laughs> and we could just tune in from one channel to the other and go oh how are you guys getting on oh that's interesting is there any way we could do that but because of the parochial nature of Gaelic games it, like it would be nice to get that because if you don't get the job you're waiting a few years to get it and therefore your life might change and you probably won't get it. Well, so McStay before said, right, I've I've tried now loads of times, so that's it, I'm done. If he doesn't get it this time, hopefully he doesn't say that. He'll be like, I'm just going to look at Colin O'Rourke. It'll come for me. Because I'd like to see what would happen. Yeah, like, I, I mean, the I presume half the reason why he would have said that in the past is because of his experience of going for the Mayo job in the past. Now something has changed, maybe time heals all wounds, but he he's ready to get hurt again, uh, Kevin McStay. That's that's basically him lining up for this once again, and um, maybe he'll be ready to get hurt again if, if things don't go his way this time. And I, I would suggest that he felt that he deserves the job at a previous occasion. You could make a case that the Mike Solon ticket is as strong a ticket as he's ever gone up against, and if he doesn't get the job on this occasion, he might well be, listen, that's fair enough. They're an outstanding collection of, of football people and better luck next time sort of thing but it does feel that every time himself and Mikhail go for the job it, it is a little bit of last chance saloon but it is interesting how the, the Rochford thing has changed from allegedly being one of the front runners to, to be a manager of this team to go into the backroom team like it's very like what we don't know is we don't know what his role was with Donegal or not the, what his role was but his effectiveness in Donegal because it's very hard to get a gauge on any of that stuff It is um, I do wonder if like part of that is that there's your natural succession plan so uh, two years of this group and then afterwards we have we're ready to go so they'll, they'll bring stability and an end to the perpetual circus and all that kind of stuff that seems to afflict Mayo football but like we're also at a point where like I mean the backroom teams and the importance of them is not a new story at all but have we got to the point now where backroom teams are actually more important than the manager that they're actually the thing that you look for in terms of coaching quality that like you do have a, a Max Day or, or an O'Rourke type that leads the charge and to maybe a lesser degree like Jack O'Connor with Kerry and it's actually just who they put around them and the, the, the people that are in the backroom team that you look for for innovation and for how a team is actually going to play and, and, and how things might actually change because that way then you're looking at that ticket and you're like Buckley and, and Rochford that they're going to bring things forward I'd just be very very interested to see what an Aidan O'Rourke slash Eamon O'Hara Mayo team looks like that's fascinating that's a really interesting, like, uh, unique ticket. And maybe that could be the thing that tips them over the edge in terms of getting this job because it's something different. Maybe the Mayo County Board will be like, got to try something here because we've been saying this for a while, but it could be, we could talk about last chance saloon for Kevin McStay and Lee McHale, it could be last chance saloon for a lot of these players as well. 
And can Mayo, can Mayo become a team who are super defensive? Is that possible? Because the swashbuckling style, which you would say is the Mayo DNA, has brought them to within a hair's breadth of winning an All-Ireland against the greatest team of all time. And so do you stick or twist? Is the, thing, is the right thing to do to say, that's who we are. That's what gets the fans up on the feet. That's what makes them travel eight-hour round trip from the far recesses of the county to Dublin to scream their lungs out, to give them pride? Or do you say, we're going to cheat and dark arts our way with 15 men behind the ball to a 9-7 victory in the Ireland final? And we will celebrate this shit out what, of that for 40 years. The, like, what, what does that look like? Give me like a modern example. Are you, are you talking like what Derry did this year? Well, like you start, you start with Donegal, right? And like, you, you know, uh, as Paddy Andrews always says, if there was defending to be done, we put 15 men behind the ball. Like Kerry brought in Paddy Talley and they conceded no goals. Yeah. You know, like... So is it, is it the Kerry level we're talking about here where it's just... No, I don't think you can do that because they don't have Clifford and they don't have... They don't have Clifford. So, uh, they have O'Donoghue and Conroy and like, I, well, assuming that they didn't this year, you know, like but they will next year. And like, you'd think that there'll be a lot stronger in that department. I think the answer to your question is yes, they can absolutely go to a, a dark arts, a more dark arts approach. But I, I think, I'm not sure, I think that's actually kind of overstating it a little bit. I think they just maybe need a little bit more street smarts and I think they maybe got shown up at times a little bit this year where they kind of underperformed even though, like, and I think this is a huge factor for them this year, even though they were missing a significant amount of their first choice players, especially in attack, even allowing for that, it did feel that they got shown up at times, maybe that second half of the, the All-Ireland quarter-final and there was just something more there. Even with the players they were missing, it felt like there was something more and that could come from a tactical tweak that I guess Porrick Joyce would have led the way on in Galway over the past few years. Like That's a great reference point for them. A team that were kind of victims of their own naivety for a while with brilliant footballers all he, of a sudden got street smart. Well, how did they do that? By bringing in uh, it, like innovation into the backroom team. And maybe that is a thing that will tip the, the Solon ticket over the edge here where they look at O'Rourke and O'Hara and say, there's something different there. There's something different that we haven't tried before. And that could be the thing like that that, that gets them the job. I, I would say it's between those two anyway. Obviously, Ray Dempsey and, and his backroom team is, is going to be a hell of a... a, a like, I mean, he's, he's, he's a like, really well-respected and they're going to go in with a right shout as well. Declan Shaw, obviously the other contender there who... Um, who did an interview with the Mayo News last week or the week before as well. So um, there's four clear management tickets going head-to-head in, in Mayo, but they're n- nobody's acting like Kilkenny in the hurling, where they just got the job done quickly. Straight away. I mean, they know what they're doing. They have a plan. They're like, yeah, that's right. Off you go. Now, tell us your backroom team later. Not for them, the the big... Um, so we, we've two minutes left here. Liam Kearns, the um, Irish Independent, are reporting... Colm Keyes and Michael Verney's name are on the byline there so you would expect that um, they know exactly what they're talking about he's expected to take over from John Maughan apparently Tomas O'Shea is now unavailable for that job yeah change in work commitments uh, yeah apparently is the, one of the reasons for that supposedly the uh, obviously the, the Dundee situation is still vacant at the moment and Monaghan has become one of the more fascinating stories as well like Jason Sherlock had been associated with that and is still associated with it there's just been no details of a backroom team just yet so from, certainly from what I can see um, Sean Moran in the Irish Times though was reporting that Mark Coonahan is now the front runner for that so for he, which? for the Monaghan job right. sorry that he managed the Miners the Ulster the Rose oh, right. in 2019 uh, his backroom team is interesting Paul McIver 
Colm Nally could go in with him and Colm Malone. Colm Nally, obviously the coach that was in with Andy McEntee with me, and we've had him in here in studio quite a few times as well. Really smart fella. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned Liam Kearns. That's uh, awfully there. And then the, the other two things is just um, they're waiting for Desi Farrell and Port Joyce to put pen to paper uh, in a figurative sense, of course. Right. Um, Desi Farrell, you, you'd imagine Port Joyce will come back for another crack with Galway next season, given how close they came this year. Desi Farrell, you, I think, just personal opinion, I think the ball is in Desi Farrell's court on this. Like, I think he's got an All-Ireland medal and it's up to him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anything else in that? I think that's pretty much it. Like, just one other point on it is that, like, on the, the swiftness of all these decisions, it's not just Mayo that we're talking about here. It's all of these counties that have really taken their time. Donegal haven't right. had the, nomina- the nominations from the clubs have to come in for next Monday for the Donegal. Yeah. I think the Donegal job is like really interesting because you've got one last dance with Michael Murphy, the LeBron James of the GAA. I know you don't like that, but uh, right. If you're a Shamrock Rovers fan and you can't watch the game tonight because it's not being shown anywhere, what's your take this morning how do you feel about that fact because there's loads in the papers about the fact that the game tonight which is like a massive moment for Irish football if Rovers win 3.3 million at least guaranteed but there's a potential for 6 million which would be money that would absolutely change the face of Irish football again because the club is perfectly set up to take advantage of it in a way that maybe they weren't the, the previous times when they've got through to group stages um, give us your view on about the fact that Irish football again not being properly served I'd like to hear from you 0879 is the WhatsApp number it is 7.58 this morning I'm going to talk to Justin Marshall in a moment we're heading to Vicker Street uh, it's the first of our Vicker Street road shows since we're back from Covid and it's next week it's August the 17th the guest list is sensational Michael Owen Ian Wright Emma Byrne and Karen Carney. It's a celebration of women's football. It's a celebration of Arsenal. It'll be a little bit of picking at Man United, I'm sure. And then, obviously, uh, things have gone pretty good for uh, Liverpool. We've put Michael Owen in his Liverpool shirt there. So, uh, come along on the night. It's going to be absolutely sensational. Tickets are flying for this. It's an exclusive off-air event, so the best bits won't be broadcast. You have to be there to get it. otbsports.com forward slash events. And a reminder, ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. So, it's a win, 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 win. Uh, T's and C's apply. We will see you on the night. otbsports.com forward slash events for that. It is August the 17th. So that is, is that this day? It's tomorrow week. Today is Tuesday. It's Wednesday. Yes, yeah, so uh, Wednesday week. Oh, it's going to be there getting his uh, Ian Wright era jersey signed by Ian Wright. Uh, now, our own Stephen Doyle spoke with Shamrock Rovers' Roy Gaffney ahead of their Europa League third qualifying round, second leg against Scoopy. It sounds like it's something from uh, Apre Match. But it's, it's actually the name of the team. Uh, this game not on TV, not being streamed. You're going to have to get a dodgy stream from um, Eastern Europe tonight. It's a 3-1 win last week, so it's all set up for them. Have a look. The first half last week was kind of noticeable. Their, their two centre-backs were kind of splitting quite a lot and uh, just leaving a lot of space. Just wondering if that's something you noticed yourself and perhaps would like yeah, to uh, take more advantage of. Yeah, in the first half, it was, Al's service was, was brilliant last week. He was able to drop a load of balls in front of me and Whatever their tactic was, they seemed to be going man for man and trying to really push us high up the pitch. So, you know, we were able to exploit it, especially in the first half when Al was dropping the ball in. So, obviously, we're hoping for more of the same tomorrow. Uh, that new midfielder they signed, Albert Dien, uh, was quite impressive until he gave away the penalty. He kind of seemed to go a little bit off the boil then after that. It, like, if he has a good game uh, tomorrow night, he could be really crucial to their chances so is that a player that you think you're going to have to be careful of uh, make sure he doesn't get into the game too much 
Yeah, I think we've kind of worked on really their, their front players and how dangerous in the build-up to the game, how dangerous they are going forward, whatever front forward they played with, they have plenty of options. So I suppose it's up to us up the, the forward end of the pitch to try and sort of stop it at source, try and stop the ball, get into those front players. And then obviously when we get the ball to, to do our bit of work as well, and so hopefully get a goal or two. Creating chances as well. Like there's just been a lot of chances created over your, your all of your European toys this season. Um, perhaps just need to be a little bit more clinical. Would that be fair to say? I just suppose if European football, you, you come up against good teams and you get punished if you don't take your chances. So, you know, we'll obviously be looking to take whatever chances we get. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, just it was interesting listening to Stephen in the build up to the first leg that he, he was, um, he didn't really want to be talking too much about the Conference League as being a, a safety net. It was all about we can get to the group stage of the, the Europa League. Is that kind of being the, the talk over the two weeks and is that the big motivating factor? Yeah, I suppose we we win tomorrow, you know, you just have that, you have that, you know, you have the safety net or whatever we're calling it, but, you know, it just takes the pressure off us, off us next week. Obviously, you want, you know, you want to go as far as you, you could in the Champions League and the same with the Europa League, but, you know, this new competition does give, you know, clubs, especially like Shamrock Rovers, you know, just an opportunity, an extra opportunity to have a European adventure. Just we've seen in, in other leagues and uh, in international football as well, there definitely seems to be a, um, a message gone out to referees about being a little bit, um, I suppose, not being as um, pernicious about certain, you know, just being not being as strict on the pitch. Is that something you've noticed in these European games? Are referees letting stuff go a bit more? Yeah, he definitely let one go against the Malta team anyways. So whatever he was told, it worked out. But yeah, I know they think uh, there's a lot of... I don't know, it was the ludicrous game. It was, you know, some of the diving and play acting that those lads were doing towards the end of the game. And even their keeper the last night did his very best to slow down the game as much as possible. You know, it obviously backfired in the end when Gary stuck it in the top corner. But I suppose we'll have to be manage the game ourselves tomorrow. If you get an opportunity to win a free, you know, you might have to take it. But yeah, you don't want to be so you're only diving around the place and not getting frees for it. But yeah, I don't know. Know, to be honest that's Rory Gaffney there not fessing up to any dark arts that might be about to unfold but you know if, if they were to do that and to get over the line who are we to complain that's it if you're going to shithouse your way into the, the group stages of this competition then nobody will be complaining whatsoever so yeah that's tonight uh, 8 o'clock if you can uh, get it on your favourite streaming service then I don't even know if it's going to be on most streaming services like so obviously not legally we're talking about illegally here do you have any recommendations for anybody where they might be able to get something I think, I think last weekend was um, was a struggle What there was like one match that wasn't a bit oh one of the three o'clock on Saturday that was yeah the, the struggle was real at three o'clock on Saturday they've uh, really clamped down I mean I'm, I'm sure people will be willing to pay for uh, a legal uh, version there is no version tonight is the, yeah. Is the thing yeah, yeah. Uh, that seems to be the problem there's an um, interesting piece from Gavin Comiskey who's outlining one of the reasons why or the various reasons why and the, complica- the complexities but just generally the sense that European football doesn't seem to matter when it comes to being broadcast by RTE as much as other sports seem to matter in the pecking order it seems like uh, the League of Ireland believe uh, that they're, they're third in that pecking order and when you consider the fact that the URC final between two South African teams we don't know the viewership figures for that we always get told oh the viewership figures are the things that dictate we never get any good viewership figures for uh, League of Ireland football or League of Ireland teams playing in Europe it's like well that's because you show it sporadically if I don't know something is, is on why would I go to you if it's on all the time 
then maybe you might build an audience and you know a lot of it has to do with the enthusiasm of uh of like we're we're like we're bringing this it's a this is this this is it this is really this really matters the way other sports get and they don't seem to get i don't know i think if you treat something badly you're always going to end up thinking well this is kind of this is a bit crap isn't it because like that's the sense is that we we're not here all the time like the biggest game this week is is the rovers game but the pats game is on tv and the pats game is in tala it seems to it seems to speak to an attitude yeah it doesn't uh seem to, to add up quite so much but um yeah maybe after this maybe like they're obviously in the, the box seat after the first leg uh you'd think that uh if they get to the, the next qualifying round well yeah of course that's age it's like that's age, it's it's no, no brainer no, well, yeah. i would think there's possibly a no-brainer already at this point is it not but it, it feels like it but uh i don't know if um I, I certainly there's unhappiness from the league of ireland that the biggest game in Europe so far this season isn't being shown on TV, and I, again, the the viewership figures. What? How many people actually sat down and watched the final of the URC between uh, the two South African teams? Like, I don't know. That, I haven't seen that figure published. You know what? Maybe, maybe it, this is just your anti-South African bias rearing its maybe head again. Like, maybe there's a massive interest around, yeah, around or maybe there's just a residual audience who always have the TV on that gets measured in the time ratings, which there is. Like, because it's basically a thousand people have a box on the top of their TV, and if if you leave your TV on, it just registers. Yeah, just to just fall asleep. But then you know, uh, the the rest of the country is like, oh, we were all watching that, were we? No, you just fell asleep. <laughs> that's that's how that's measured. Six minutes past eight this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. Amen. <laughs> S is Phil Thompson actually going to show up this morning, or are we set for another morning full of more filler than Kim Kardashian's lips? <laughs> All thriller, no filler here on OTBAM. He is going to show up. We had problems with our phone lines. We had our best little losers working on it for the last 24 hours and the phone lines are now back working, which I am delighted to confirm. Um, there's a few other things about uh, uh, Newcastle finishing ahead of Manchester United. We'll get to those in a couple of minutes' time. I do think that there's a very strong possibility that Newcastle are going to fi- um, finish ahead of Manchester United tonight, this year. Like I can see why you're saying it. I just don't. Like okay, so I think part of the bargain there is that Manchester United continue to tank, and they're terrible all season. Like I, I you think they're going to recover to finish fifth? No, I don't agree with Cullum's prediction that they're going to finish fifth. I think they're going to finish sixth, and I do think Arsenal will finish ahead of them. But I don't. I I'm not sure will they finish below uh, Newcastle. Like we had this conversation yesterday that I, I would actually have had Leicester as potentially one of the teams that could break the top six again this season. But the players that they're about to lose. I uh, would suggest that that's not going to happen. Tony Cascarino suggested something is awry in the London Times yesterday. We don't know what yet, but that's the type of thing that people put in print when they're hearing stuff that they just can't stack up yet. Mm. Like, Casper Schmeichel left to join Nice. Yeah. What? Yeah, a strange one. Like, the thing is, we, we probably just need a few more weeks just to see like what the ceiling of a, of a team like Brighton is. But even then, you look at their squad, is, is that possibly a team that could, that could challenge the top six? Like I, don't, like, I don't think United will finish fifth, but by the same token, I agree with what Gordon said earlier on, is that I think maybe there is... They could the, finish the, the, eighth? With the West Ham and Leicester sort of bounce that they got over the last two seasons, I'm not sure that there's going to be a similar level of a bounce this season. To be fair, if there's going to be one club who does it, it, it might be Newcastle United. 
But even then, I think they needed a few more signings over the course of the summer for them to be able to do that. And I am backing ETH to stabilise the ship at Manchester United so that they finish sixth. It's not, like, that's not even a great job. It's not well, even it, a great return. Look, it's, it's not too late for them to sign two central midfielders and have a completely different team playing by the end of August. There's a good chance that they will actually sign two central midfielders and that would be transformative. It, it I, don't think, be. I don't think they're going to get Frankie de Jong. Although, who knows what the hell's going on with Frankie de Jong. That latest... Uh, they have found evidence of criminal something or other and now they want to revert to the previous contract. Like, what? Like, but the thing is, Manchester United were terrible last season and they finished sixth. Like, the, the, the evidence is there from last season that they can do a job and get into the top six even while being bad. They just did it. And I would even say that maybe West Ham and Leicester had, had a better chance of, of usurping them last season. Now, I know Leicester had European football to contend with. This season, like I think the, the, the question really is just around your point there on, on Newcastle and how far their star can rise. Can they break? Can they get into like late 50s, early 60s in the points? They probably can, but so can United. At nine minutes past eight this morning, we're turning our attention to rugby and I'm delighted to say Justin Marshall is with us. Justin, good morning to you. How are you? Yes, good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Considering the circumstances of last weekend. <laughs> I, I was going to say, uh, is Ian Foster still the coach of the All Blacks? That's a question we keep asking every day here. Yeah, uh, currently he is. Uh, you know, obviously he's under a mountain of pressure now coming off the Irish series uh, and that first series loss in New Zealand, which recreated uh, history to a negative. Obviously, uh, he was... Uh, given the backing of New Zealand Rugby Union and uh, had a bit of a change up in his coaching environment and um, there was a real positive uh, vibe coming out of the All Black camp leading into that first South African test. But unfortunately, many of the errors, many of the, I guess, sort of confidence levels that have been lacking were all too evident again and they were quite comprehensively beaten. So it's only mounted the pressure on him, to be perfectly honest, but uh, he's still got the reins for this weekend. The backroom changes, it always feels a little bit like somebody believes that the person who's responsible isn't actually responsible. And what you're doing, one of the analogies is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, was that unfair on the, the backroom team for them to shoulder the blame for the Ireland series when ultimately, you know, the head coach is supposed to set the tone. He is supposed to be the person who inspires his team to then go on and work with the players to make them free to do their jobs. Oh, it's a very fair analogy, and you're absolutely right. Uh, there's no doubt that the buck stops at the head coach, and that's why you have that responsibility, and that's why you've got to make the, the big decisions, the big calls, and they include selection as well, but they also include your support staff. Look, I think probably there's been a little bit of rope given to Ian Foster simply because after the end-of-year tour last year in November, the Autumn Internationals, where the, the All Blacks lost to Ireland again and also to France, back-to-back test matches, there was quite an extensive review done uh, about their performance uh, in, in 2021. And um, what came out of that was that the, there was some disconnect uh, between the players and some of the coaches. And Ian Foster, ironically, wasn't one of those. So basically what I'm saying to you is that there was something wrong anyway. They just decided to persist with the Irish series and quite clearly those things that were wrong uh, within that coaching group and the disconnect between them and the players uh, was was just considered to be enough for those guys to be dismissed. So I, I think they were hoping for a, a quick uh, solution and for things to change dramatically. 
but that hasn't happened. But yeah, that's the background as to why that happened. Um, at the same time, and, and we've we've had Gregor Paul on the on the program, and he's explained that Scott Robertson is under contract at the moment to the New Zealand Rugby Football Union, and so therefore there is a ready-made replacement who seems like a world-class coach who plays a really brilliant attacking style of rugby that would uh, free the players and get the fans back on side. Why is why is the decision not been made already when the rest of the world is looking at this going really smart, clever coach over here, coach who seems to have lost the faith of the players and the fans and rugby in New Zealand. This is a fairly obvious fix, lads. Get on with it. Why 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 has that not happened in your view? I think historically New Zealand have never been that dramatic and reactive. But they are very regimented in the decision-making. You know, you see it across the world. I know you do, uh, and, and particularly in lots of other sports when, you know, a manager or a coach is not doing well, they are quickly moved on. And that's not been in the All Blacks or New Zealand Rugby's DNA. They, they never uh, sort of take a backward step and go, we got this wrong. Um, you know, I think I could probably only go all the way back to possibly when John Mitchell was in charge with Robbie Deans. Uh, when they made a, they were off contract. However, they made a decision to change those coaches two years out from a rugby world cup. Apart from that, I can't ever think of the All Blacks not allowing a coach to see through his term of his contract, which for Ian Foster is the end of next year. The other part of it is, it's it's bloody complicated. There's a lot of moving parts and changing the coach. Um, there's been a team selected for the rugby championship, so a new coach would have to deal with the current players. Um, and then they, they would be able to pick a new side for the end of year tour. But equally, you know, if I'm Scott Robertson and I'm sitting there and they're, they're, uh, my phone's ringing and it's using rugby union, well, you're going in on your own terms. You're going in, you want, if you want to succeed, you want your own, you want the right players to implement that game plan that you know can turn the All Blacks around. So all of a sudden, there's massive problems in terms of selection because you don't want to deal with what's there now. And secondly, you don't want to deal with the, the, the current structure of the management. You want your own analyst. You want your own trainer. You want your own assistant coaches. So financially, that is a huge clean-out that the New Zealand Rugby Union, I don't know, can afford. They might they might have to jump and take that, uh, that, that road at some stage, but the dynamics of doing it are incredibly difficult. Is this group of players good enough to win next year's World Cup? There are good enough players within New Zealand to win the Rugby World Cup, uh, unequivocally. I, I think there's no doubt about that. The problem with this current group of players is th- there's something amiss. I think everybody can see that. They're very low on confidence, uh, and that's not a good thing in any sport, being low on confidence. And you know, I think I, I said at the weekend on, on television, I said, look, when I got asked in the pre-game, you know, what are your thoughts? I said, well, if, if the All Blacks are not ahead or have parity on the scoreboard, after the end of the first quarter, they will not win. Uh, and, and they said, why? And I said, because if they, they if they get away to a poor start and they're behind, their confidence levels are too low to find their way back into the game. And, and that's the nature of sports sometimes. When you've got heavy shoulders, um, the weight just keeps going on them when things don't go well on the field. So, look, in, in answer to your question, they certainly have, even though they even have the players within this squad, I just think that they have too many players out there playing too heavy. And when I say heavy, they've just got too much weight on them that they don't need to carry. You know, guys like Sam Kane, he had to compose himself before he came and talked to us on Sky Sky Sport 
uh, New Zealand um, after the game because he was starting to wander across and you could see how emotional he was. You know, he had poured his guts into that game, but, you know, he's feeling it and everybody's feeling it. And I think what they need to do this weekend is they need to just, they need to ease that burden. They need to put some players out there that aren't under pressure, that don't have confidence problems, that'll just go out and play instinctively and, and, and are not worried about the result and not worried about the ramifications of losing because it's a heavy, heavy burden to carry when you're in New Zealand all black and the country's watching you. Isn't it ironic that from from our perspective, watching you guys play uh, over the years, that the burden of, of history was always on our side where we'd never beaten you, our teams had never beaten you. Sorry, with the exception of uh, Munster in 1978 and we made a play about that. It was it was so famous. Yeah. We made a, a best-selling play about it. That's And and for us, the, the, the history was always that uh, no matter how dark the situation got for you guys you'd always find a try in the last minute or a drop goal from Dan Carter from 100 yards out and we'd be like oh, that is that is the DNA of New Zealand rugby but now it seems to be working the opposite way you know if, if you think to the, the pre-match anthems and there's tears from the New Zealand guys and the haka was so intense against Ireland and then Ireland's first 10 minutes of the three tests, even the one that we lost, we were the better team. So that yeah. something psychologically is, is working against the All Blacks and it seems to be the weight of that history. Yeah, and look, look, I, I captained Ireland um, for the first time uh, in, in 1997 and I had a very experienced side, but it was the easiest, and I mean this respectfully, it was the easiest captain speech I've ever had to do because I just said to the boys, whatever it takes, not on our watch. Do we allow all of that history, that legacy that has gone before us on this day uh, to happen? You know, whatever it takes, we just go out there and get the job done. They'll have their moments in the game, but we just have more moments. And when it comes down to the crunch, just everything that you've got, we make sure that we get the job done. And we did. And, and I just, you know, I wonder whether or not this side uh, has, has the DNA in them to, to, to really push themselves to preserve that history because continually it's getting broken, um, you know, under their watch. You know, the first ever series loss in New Zealand uh, in 115 years, the first time losing to Ireland on our soil uh, ever. Uh, they've lost to Argentina for the first time in our history. I think we hadn't been we hadn't lost to France in a very very long time. I'd imagine. I say I say this with trepidation that. Wales and Scotland are pretty much looking forward to the All Blacks turning up in November if this trend continues because they haven't beaten us in 70 years, Wales and Scotland ever. You're right in what you're saying. Um, but, but mentally, you know, like when, when you're low on confidence and the team's not, they're not playing good rugby. That's probably the, the, the hardest thing. They're not in the fight. Like I can, I can handle the, the, the losses and, and the, the dent in our history if, if it's down to the micro minutes of the match and we're fighting hard and the opposition get the job done. They've had a great day. We've had a great day, but there was nothing in it. But at the moment, the gap is big. Like, you know, that they, they are getting quite conclusively beaten, and that includes by Ireland, you know. so And what I'm hearing is continually, I've even heard it this week coming out of the All Blacks, they're a good side. They're a very good side. They're an excellent side. Ireland are a great side. South Africa are a great side. It's like, hang on, when have the All Blacks ever admitted that a team are better than them? So it seems like it's a, a circular thing where the confidence is low. There are, yeah. are you making the case that there's actually better players or players better suited to playing for New Zealand who aren't in the squad at the moment? Well, I think, you know, 
some of them are some of them are injured, some of them are, are unwanted. Um, you know, you, you look at the, the the likes of the back row would probably be a different makeup if Cullen Grace was included in the side because he's a good, genuine number eight. Uh, and, and obviously Ethan Blackadder being out is a massive blow. Anton Leonard Brown being out is not ideal. Like Damien Kenzie's running around in, in New Zealand at the moment uh, with, without an all-black jersey on his back. Uh, and there are other cases for players that, uh, you know, could push to, to be in the in, in an all-black jersey. Uh, and, yeah, look, I, I, what I'm saying is th- 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 there is without doubt enough talent in this current side without all of those peripheral players that are not there to, to, to win a chess match at Alice Park. They just have to find their mojo and they have to they have to play instinctively like All Blacks do. Uh, at, the mo- at the moment, I think they are going into the chess match worried about what the result is going to be. And anybody will tell you in any sport, if you're worried about the result and not performance, performance levels get around that 90% ratio. You tick the box usually to win. And they're way off that at the moment. Handling errors, turnovers, uh, you know, getting beaten in the contact zone, all of those little elements of the game they are losing, which culminates in losing the match. So, you know, if they could get those things right and at least get parity, then they certainly have the firepower to beat South Africa, who are a very regimented, one-dimensional side. We... We're talking about it on the show yesterday morning. The New Zealand Herald ran with the front page editorial saying that Ian Foster's time is up. When it comes to the general population in New Zealand at the moment, has there been noise like this at any point in in your memory of of the All Blacks being under fire from from the public? Uh, yeah, I was involved in '99 uh, when we lost when we lost the semi final. Uh, we lost the semi-final in 2003, so both Rugby World Cups. That's my burden to bear. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, there was a bit of fallout after 99, but and it was quite bad. Uh, and John Hart, um, he, he was at the forefront of some really uh, untidy, unnecessary, you know, public abuse, and it went too far. I think after that and the fallout of that, the country grew up a bit and learned to accept that you know, it's nobody's fault that everybody wants the All Blacks to win. And so I think we've come a long way as a nation. Uh, but, you know, we've had quite a lot of success between 99 uh, and, and the current and, the, and this current uh, campaign under Ian Foster, you know, two Rugby World Cups and pretty much winning uh, most most test matches uh, under Steve Hansen. I think his winning ratio was over 80%. So, no. Is the answer to your question? I haven't seen it in New Zealand for a long time since then, but it is, it is quite bad at the moment. Yeah, look, there's no doubt that Ian Foster is a man under pressure, uh, and the country with rugby in New Zealand, everybody has an opinion. Uh, they have an opinion not only on the coach, of the setup, and also the the players are getting it as well. You know, the every everybody is yes at this moment. Uh, I've never seen New Zealand rugby in this in, in this uh, bad a space, uh, but you know, like that that's the way that New Zealand operates and why we've been so good in the past. Uh, the, the Scott Robertson issue is obviously, it seems like it's a break glass in case of emergency and the emergency seems to be here and the rest of the world is, is going, not really sure why. And you've explained it very, very well that there's stuff obviously in terms of financial terms that would make that difficult. Less difficult would be just getting rid of Foster and making Joe Schmidt the head coach and saying, you're going to have to work with this group at least until their contracts run out at the World Cup and then we'll, we'll revisit that. And yet that doesn't seem to be on the table at the moment. Or are, are we reading that wrong? Is there a possibility that Schmidt could take over as an interim head coach? 
yeah, I don't think you're reading it wrong. I don't believe that is on the table. And, and that might be Joe Schmidt uh, not wanting to be uh, involved to that level anymore. Uh, I don't I don't know the dynamics of his role currently. I, th- I think he's just sort of overseeing uh, the, the, the selection of, of the side. Uh, he's, he's now been named as an all-black selector. I don't know whether or not he wants to have any full-on involvement as a coach. So I couldn't quite clearly answer that question, to be honest. But look, I think, look, there's, there's no, I don't think there's probably any positives to come out of just getting rid of Ian Foster. Uh, you know, the, play, the players um, are still happy with Ian Foster. He's a good guy and they are, they are not um, by any means, uh, you know, cooing against him and, and, and wanting him to be dismissed. So whatever he's doing, um, it, it seems to be okay. But it's the it's the whole balance of the, the 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 synergy between the management structure, the players, the New Zealand Rugby Union, everybody um, that is usually really tight is is all pulling in different directions, and that that's where the crux of the problem is. So, you know, like and and also, you know, what what coach would want to come in under that environment? You know, that, that you would you would want to clean the slate and, and start from scratch. If it was me personally, I'm just speaking. If somebody could knock my door down and said, come and coach the All Blacks, I'd go, righto, well, these are my terms, these are my people, and these are going to be my players. And, uh, you know, that, that that is a massive upheaval uh, to, to make, and we are getting very close to a Rugby World Cup as well. So there's uh, just so much at play. It sounds like it might get worse before it gets better from an All Black perspective. Yeah, well, it doesn't get any easier. I've been to, I've been to Alice Park numerous times, uh, as an All Black, it's one of the most difficult stadiums to, to win a Test match at. But I can give you the tip: it's one of the most rewarding. If you can go there and you can silence that very patriotic crowd, uh, walk out onto that field um, and get stuck into the Springboks, it's a great place to win. It's a great changing shed to sit down and after the game, having beaten them at Alice Park and have a cold beer and go look at your mates and go, you know what? This is one of the toughest challenges in in the game playing at Alice Park and winning. Like, if I'm an All Black this week and a senior All Black, I'm getting this group really, really tight and I'm saying, you know what? There's a very clear direction that we can take on Saturday and make a positive step into the future and that is to go out onto Alice Park and take them apart. And they're capable of doing it. They've just got to get their mind there. I believe that they're capable of doing it. And uh, I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm saying these words now because, like I said, I've been there many times. It's almost making me feel like putting my books on and going out and giving it another go. <laughs> Justin, great stuff. Thanks, William, for joining us. Cheers. Anytime, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. That's Justin Marshall there. And uh, really interesting stuff coming from New Zealand at the moment where the uh, the crisis is real. What do you, what do you, what do you, do we, I mean, it's, it doesn't sound like there's a, it doesn't sound like they're going to go to Robertson doesn't sound like they've got the money to go to Robertson and do what he wants. And if he's not going to get what he wants, would, you, you can't come in and take over somebody else's mess and like work with his team when your team is over here. Especially when you see the criticism that Ian Foster has been under and you know that you're signing up for that if things don't go well. And if you feel you're getting the short straw because of what he's done badly or because of what maybe the players have done badly or because of the players at your disposal doesn't make the job very attractive whatsoever. It's not a good time to be... Well, you could make a guess it's a great time to be an All Blacks coach because it can't get any worse. But at the same time, you only get one crack at this thing. And is he going to want to go in now or is he going to want to wait till after the World Cup? 
Yeah, maybe it's better to come in when the crisis is full-blown. Right, so TBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's 28 minutes past eight. I told you about our Carberry FC Roadshow on August the 17th. Uh, in advance of that, we're going to be deciding on the top five most influential Irish players in both the men's and women's game. It's a reminder, of course, tickets for the show in Vicar Street are on sale now. Ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events for terms and conditions and more. We will see you on the night. Next up, Sam Lee of The Athletic. He's their Manchester City correspondent for a slightly more positive Manchester-based conversation uh, in the aftermath of Erling Haaland uh, emerging really as Superman that we all knew he was. That's next. OTB AM. So some small portions of the world were hoping that somehow the arrival of Erling Haaland might complicate things for Manchester City to the point where they looked human. The opposite has, uh, of course, happened at the weekend. We're in the midst of our overreaction to the first weekend. I'm delighted to say Sam Lee of The Athletic is with us. Sam, that was about as good as it gets for Manchester City fans. Everything went straight to plan. It's like, uh, you know, the A-team at the end and uh, he's Hannibal going, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, especially so quickly. Uh, City haven't normally started the season that um, well, that quickly in the last couple of years. Obviously, they lost to, at Tottenham last season. Guardiola doesn't play too many friendly games. Uh, City haven't won at West Ham for the past couple of seasons either. So it could have been quite easy to think, OK, they'd be a bit rusty against a team that's going to be you know, ferocious in their faces, dangerous cap attacks. It's obviously the way that Guardiola thought, OK, we're just going to keep the ball. This is how we're going to do it. As David Moyes said afterwards, he went, they were better tactically because we couldn't prepare for it because we hadn't seen it before. And then obviously that does include putting Haaland into it. And yeah, that that little thing in the second half that we saw, as soon as West Ham did try and step up a bit, leave a bit of space in behind, De Bruyne to Haaland, that supply line is up and running already and it probably will carry on that way for a while. So yeah, like you say, very good start for City fans. His brilliance was fairly obvious on television, but anything that you picked up in the stadium that the rest of us wouldn't have seen to, to illustrate further how good he was? I, I think it's just the fact that He's so fast and he's always looking to go. And I think, I mean, maybe defenders will get used to it eventually. But I think obviously at the, at the moment, there's this aura around him as well, where he's kind of unknown how he's going to fit in. So the defenders respect him so much. You know, if he goes in behind, then you're, you've got to go with him. And then obviously that backs off the defensive line and creates space for everyone else. I think it's just that kind of level of respect that he's got. And it probably will stick around because, like I say, he is going to, well, he's probably going to be really good. He is always going to be really quick, and he's you know he's lethal in front of goal, so he will always be respected. But especially on opening weekend, it did seem like everyone was like, well, "Okay, we need to like kind of stop this guy," and they're kind of jumpy and and just just going with him everywhere, um, which opened up spaces elsewhere, and still couldn't really stop him. I suppose the caveat to that is the fact that um, they had Ben Johnson playing, who's a right back playing at centre back, and Kurt Zuma for the second goal. He hadn't been able to move for about fifteen minutes, so it wasn't the most kind of capable centre back pairing. So it might not necessarily be like that every week, but when you've got somebody who's that quick and that deadly and that willing to run in behind, and as he said himself, very rarely offside, that's you know, that's a kind of dangerous kind of combination, especially when you've got all the players behind him ready to back him up. It's not bad. Uh, how does it alter the geometry of how Manchester City want to play? Because we haven't seen them with that type of centre-forward. I don't really think we've ever seen a Pep team with that type of centre-forward, really. Maybe because Haaland is, is so unique in that he can come yeah, do everything that everybody else does. So it might be unfair to ask it. But um, maybe there was a time 
when they played a little bit with a, a normal centre forward at Barcelona with Pep there, but not for particularly long, and like it was generally messy. So that's totally different as well. What 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 does he do to what Pep is trying to do, and how does he alter that? Yeah, well, again, I suppose it's best just to go with what Guardiola was saying afterwards in terms of how the team works. He did say Haaland's an extra weapon. So I mentioned, you know, once West Ham kind of stepped up a bit and left spaces, Guardiola was like, look, in those situations, our guys have to find him because they know he's going to be there and he is the extra weapon. Um, but he was saying, look, we're going to have to, have to still keep going left to right, right to left, you know, patiently. Um, and I, I guess we kind of, I think we did kind of see that because it wasn't like City were playing these very direct passes in behind the whole game. Um, they were trying to manoeuvre situations. In the first half, they were getting the ball out wide. They couldn't quite get it to Haaland. But so it, I think in some senses, they're still going to have to do what they used to do, to be patient. It's not just going to be direct balls forward all the time. And I think we'll probably see that even a, a bit more when it's at the Etihad and teams come and sit back and, and defend. And I'd imagine that'll be Bournemouth's approach at the weekend. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see and we'll see how it goes if it's not. Um, but yeah, when there's teams sitting back and not giving you much space, it's still going to have to be quite patient and Haaland's going to have to fit into that. And that's the kind of thing about Lewandowski at Bayern or Aguero at City. That, you know, classic number nines. But doing Lewandowski did kind of more positionally different things and kind of dropping out to the right-hand side and making space for others. And obviously when you got Thomas Muller around, you could make space for somebody else who's a, a clinical finisher. Aguero obviously had to change what he did. So Haaland will have to adapt some stuff. Um, City will adapt some stuff, as we've already mentioned, with the balls in behind. Um, but there's there's still going to be a lot of kind of classic City things going on. And I think we saw that at the weekend because with the fullbacks coming so narrow inside alongside Rodri, it looked very new. But it's kind of like a recycling of the old ideas. And ultimately, the goal was the same. And the goal and the aim was to have a lot of possession, obviously, and just stop the counterattacks through the middle. So that's why we saw for large stages on Sunday, West Ham and the fans in particular just completely deflated because they couldn't really go anywhere. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't build up that head of steam. And then obviously when they tried, Haaland got in behind. So that's kind of how, you know, City are hoping for it to go over the next few months. Well, years. Specifically for the rest of this season then, who, like, we, we have seen the team change occasionally, but it looks now like we have a starting 11. Is that fair or close enough to certainly eight or nine of a starting 11? Um, I suppose it probably is. Um, if I just run through them, Edison, Walker, Cancelo, Diaz probably. Um, and the, the, the other centre-back with Diaz, it could be any of them. Rodri for sure. Um, De Bruyne, although you'd say Bernardo Silva, but he obviously didn't play at the weekend and Gundogan did. Obviously Haaland. I think Foden would always be in it. And I suppose it's between Grealish and Mahrez then. So yeah, probably eight or nine. I do think it's been like that. For a while, certainly a couple of seasons ago when they got to the Champions League, there was nine you could bank on by the end of that season. Um, but I suppose that was by the end of the season and already coming into this one, we've got an idea of who it's going to be. But, you know, if Bernardo's on the bench, then that's a great option. Stones and Laporte, one of those on the bench, great option. Um, Alvarez coming on. I know we're talking about Haaland. And Alvarez did get on at the weekend and he wasn't, uh, he didn't get any kind of headlines at all. But I think he'll be a really good player. Um, the five subs helps them bring on you know, Cole Palmer got more minutes that he probably wouldn't have got before he subs the, the 19, 20-year-old academy graduate. Calvin Phillips, new sign-in, he got on for like three or four minutes at the end, which he wouldn't have got with three subs. Um, so they have got those kind of options as well. But you're right, there probably is a, a fairly settled element to the to the team already. But 
I don't think they're going to play like they did against West Ham every week. So both fullbacks coming right inside into midfield, probably not going to happen all the time. So they've got that set eight, nine, ten, but it's going to look different week on week, I'd imagine. Does this completely, I guess, reinvigorate Jack Grealish's Manchester City career? Like, does his is his role better suited now to somebody who's going to be playing through the middle, who's going to be expected to score the lion's share of goals? I think in terms of like reinvigoration, I think the second season was always likely to to be better than the first. Uh, playing through the well, I mean, he was very wide on Sunday in terms of playing through the middle. I think there'll be opportunities to get goals. I think one of the things Guardiola praised about him afterwards, and maybe this is one of those things to kind of give him a bit of praise, even though he wants a bit more, or maybe he was genuinely pleased about everything he did. But he praised how. You know, Greer's held onto the ball and attracted the men when he needed to, and then he released them. And obviously, that's something he was doing last season. That's something that Guardiola praised last season. But it's not something that's going to get your average football fan to go, that Jack Grealish is worth 100 million, isn't it? Look how he attracts players. Well, nobody, nobody wants him to do that. But obviously, Guardiola does, and that's the most important thing. But we're all sitting here going, why isn't he taking people on? Why isn't he scoring goals? Um, I think just last season, Sunday, he did a lot tactically of what he was expected to do. I think everybody expects him to do a bit more on top of that in terms of things like assists and goals. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that would improve this season anyway. In terms of the kind of team he's in, a bit more dynamic, a bit more spacing behind, I think Foden and Alvarez are the players to kind of be aggressive and attack that spacing behind. Grealish is probably going to have this other kind of role where he's kind of picking the ball up deeper and carrying it off the pitch. And we did see that a lot at the weekend and Cancelo was doing it as well so it's again they're probably not going to play those every week but Grealish has definitely got a role to play um, but in terms of going through the middle and being asked to score more goals I'm not sure if that's necessarily I, I meant, different Sorry I meant uh, Haaland having a, a central figure in oh. Haaland and how that impacts Grealish out wide Right um, Yeah um, the only thing with that is because I was thinking about the way the kind of City played last season obviously there'd be a load of things they can do Um but normally, in terms of what I was saying, so at least there's some relevance, um, of Grealish carrying it down the line and attracting men, he would then kind of knock it back towards Cancelo or Rodri and then either switch it or put it into the box. So normally, it all, it would still be somebody else putting the ball into Haaland. Um, but yeah, if we're talking about him carrying the ball, there's going to be opportunities to, once you get the ball, if you on some kind of transition, Haaland will be making that run. So if you can slip it in behind, brilliant. If he carries it to the byline and cuts it back, I'd say there's a decent chance Harlem will be there. There was one he wasn't there for at the weekend and he was really annoyed. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I probably talked for about a minute on something that he didn't actually ask. So I'll keep this short and say, yeah, if he's got somebody in the middle that he can just knock the ball to and score, then all of a sudden people are putting Jack Grealish in their fantasy football team because he's got six assists by Christmas and he costs seven million. All of a sudden people start thinking, oh yeah, he's a good player because it can be as superficial as that sometimes. So yeah, yeah that will help. No, it's really interesting stuff, especially kind of like the, the differences in positions and like just, just kind of like on the, the theme of reinvigoration, like this is just like, it does feel just from somebody who kind of like watches City in the, the Premier League and maybe not as often as you would have or, and you would have seen him during, prem, or during pre-season, but just the addition of Haaland and how it kind of feels like a totally fresh new squad. But does, does it feel like that or is that just a very on the outside looking in perspective on it all? Like do, does Pep seem like he's, he's got kind of, uh, kind of fresh impetus this season now that he's got a new superstar in the team? Does it kind of feel like there's just this new energy around Manchester City this season, even though they are back-to-back Premier League champions? Yeah, but I mean, I think that's good because I suppose if you were back-to-back Premier League champions, there wouldn't necessarily be that energy. Although I suppose at pre-season, it's 
pretty rare to look at the champion, especially when it's City, and to think, I'm not sure. You know, normally we go into it with optimism, no matter who it is. Um, I think the new, yeah, the new energy is mainly Haaland related. You know, he's just driving everything. I think Guardiola is kind of same old Guardiola in the way that he'll always try and find new things, and it seems like that's that's, that's what he's doing. But you know, he's not especially. You know, in, a, in a good mood and bouncing around in the training ground or whatever. He's got a year left on his contract and everyone's wondering when that's going to be resolved. So that's, the Guardiola energy is the same energy that's kind of got City to where it is. The main new one is Haaland. And I suppose the other thing in terms of a new team, it's pretty much, a lot of it's the same. Like I say, it was kind of new looking ideas, but we're, we're actually recycled and towards the same aims as before, um, but in a new, newish looking way. The team is mainly the same, but it's like it's been just retooled and rearmed up front with Haaland there. Um, Foden on the right, which as far as I can tell, I don't think he's ever started a game on the right. I know he would always like to, and now he has done. Um, Grealish on the left, obviously, he's only been there for a season, so that's new. Alvarez came on, um, Cole Palmer came on, and look, this isn't how it works because they will need the whole squad over the season if they want to try and win three, four competitions. But Obviously, with Jesus leaving and with Sterling leaving, there was a bit of concern among the fans, and I can see it myself, in terms of they've maybe lost a bit of dynamism on the right in terms of pace. Um, you know, Maybe we'll see that over the season, maybe we won't. But on Sunday, at least, nobody was sitting there going, oh, you know, they need Sterling here or they need Jesus here. Like those, those players that they may miss or they may not, it didn't feel like it on Sunday because it was just like this completely new forward line um, kind of, furnishing the old, the old kind of way of doing things with all the the old kind of players that have been reliable for the past two to three years. So it's basically that spearheading of the attack. But I think that is dragged along by Haaland just because he's just so good and so excited that people are interested. And as you kind of um, referred to at the start, there's there's you know, there's people around, probably quite a few, who, who don't want it to work. Um, there's a lot of City, well, every City fan, want, they do want it to. And it's going to be fascinating to see, like, whichever, whatever happens, whichever way it happens, it's going to be fascinating to see over, well, this season in particular. And then uh, if it does click, then beyond that, you know, you, you're thinking how many goals can the guy score? They were obviously in the market for a left back who they were going to pay a lot of money for who might not have played that much football. Or is this is the point of that then that you can just interchange your fullbacks and there's no diminution in quality and so you always have an 8 out of 10 who's fit and ready to go and who plays 30 games instead of 60 games. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the idea. But I mean, so at the moment, they've only got two fullbacks anyway. They've got Walker and Cancelo and obviously they're great, but I don't think any team in the Premier League, you, you wouldn't say, oh, that's fine. You know, you, if Liverpool just had Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson, you think, that's not, that's not quite enough. And obviously, the, the more you get down the, the division, you think, what are they doing with only two? Um, in terms of a lot of money, yeah, okay, like 40 million to, to probably most English teams is a lot of money. Um, but that's where City drew the line for Kukurea. You know, 40 million was it. And, you know, Chelsea have spent, what was it, 57 plus add ons for 63, something like that, um, for Kukurea. And they've already got Ben Chilwell. So it's the same situation. Obviously, Chelsea have spent more. And, you know, I, I guess that's just how it is at the top of the game. Um, but, it, I mean, in, in this case, I think City fans would probably rather they spent probably not quite that much. But if they'd have gone to 50 and been able to get him, I think City fans would have been happy because that's kind of the one concern if we're talking about the balance of the squad going into the season. Um, they don't have those alternatives at left-back, but it may come down to using Nathan Ake there or um, the young lad, uh, Josh Wilson-Esbrand, who's 19. Um, he looked quite good in pre-season, but you know, 
you have to be something special to be for Guardiola to rely upon you or to, to use you a lot as a, as a young player. And he's good, but you know everyone kind of thinks, well, what happened to Phil Foden? But Phil, Phil Foden is unreal. Like, Phil Foden is like, unbelievable. Like, if he'd come from Barcelona, you'd it'd be like a hundred and fifty million pound player. Yeah. He just happens to come through at City. Like Josh Wilson Esband is good, but not that. But it would be interesting to see how that works. But yeah, that's probably the one why well, is the one area that City are looking at in in the transfer market before it closes, because like I say, just that two fullbacks is it's sailing fairly close to the wind, okay. even for a squad as as deep as City. So we should expect some some business, perhaps, if the right option comes up well, in the next three. Well, weeks. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's the if, isn't it? You know, if they weren't going to they were going to spend forty million on their top choice, they don't have to go to somebody when the season's already started for somebody they didn't necessarily think was as good, and the club probably won't want to sell and would want lots of money. So. I don't know how easy that's going to be, but yeah, yeah they'll, they'll certainly try. Fair enough. One, one last question. Calvin Phillips, is he just going to get game time in that midfield and a fairly similar situation? He kind of uh, comes in, there's resting, there's rotation, and it's a similar level to the existing central midfielders or is there a clear pecking order at the moment? Yeah, there's definitely a pecking order at the moment in the sense that he's more of a holding midfielder than obviously the one they've got, Rodri. They knew, and he was fantastic on Sunday, but they knew going into the season we want somebody who's going to come in and be capable of playing and play to a city level uh, and contribute and play a lot of games, but they're not going to be coming in expecting to play every single match. You know, there were more high profile targets, more expensive targets that they knew, well, they knew were better players than Phillips and Phillips is very good, but they knew there were better options out there, but they didn't want that better option because obviously cost double the money, but also they would come in and think, well, I want to be playing every game. And, you know, it's quite a delicate balance. Guardiola likes a small squad. He knows he has to leave players out. He knows he needs to bring players in quite a lot. And if you don't like being on the bench and you're in a bad mood and all of a sudden you come back in, you're not necessarily going to be training at your best. So that's why they bought Nathan Ake two years ago. And obviously the reality of that situation was he could have gone in the summer because he was like, well, I've not played that much actually. And if I've got an offer to go and do that at Chelsea, then I'll take it. Um, Obviously we saw the players who did go. Zinchenko wanted more football. Um, Sterling, Jesus, they wanted more football. Fernandinho even wanted more football. So that that's where, that's the situation they're in. But then you bring in players like if they've got Kukurea, he wouldn't be coming in thinking, well, I want to be playing every game. There's no. an element of, I can't believe I'm at Manchester City. And it's like that with Calvin Phillips. It's not like, you know, I don't mean to make them sound like competition winners, but it's not like City of signing, you know, maybe Declan Rice for 100 million. Who's thinking, oh, well, I'm under a million pounds, I'm going to play every week. Yeah, or Jude Bellingham. It's, yeah, yeah, Jude Bellingham, um, Chouameni, who went to Real Madrid. Chouameni was the one they were looking at. They knew how good he was, but they were just like, well, it doesn't really work for the balance of the squad. So, yeah, that's kind of City's level because Phillips was, what, 42 million, Kukurea was 40. So it was like, right, this is the kind of level we want to spend to bring in players who are good enough to contribute to the squad, but they're not going to kick up a fuss if they're not playing. And, you know, that's the kind of, that's the way they, they maintain that balance in their squad. All right. Sam, we leave it there. Great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Anytime. Thank you. That's Sam Lee of The Athletic uh, giving us his thoughts on the situation at Manchester City. It is 8.48 OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. A reminder, of course, that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee, coffee partner of OTB. Each week we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, just check out Add Off The Ball on Twitter. You can like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you will be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee is Apple Green's new premium coffee brand that offers customers the best coffee experience on the road. It's available now at 30 locations nationwide. Now, John Duggan 
is with us. John, good morning to you. Jared Owen, how are we doing? Have we talked since Spurs have become the best team in England? Have gimme, we? gimme, gimme, Dayan Kulisevsky. Have you been this season yet? Are you? Have you already booked your tickets? Um, I, I just not going to work out where my holidays are, but I might go to Champions League away game end of October, early November. I was speaking to my nephew, uh, who's a season ticket holder, I, on the phone yesterday. So um, I want to go to Craven Cottage. I've never been, so we play Fulham away in January. So if it's not on a Saturday, I might try and get over. But are yeah. you tempted to go like three or four times now? Just because it's I, so good. I, yeah, uh, um, bandwagoner is something I've always been. Um, so absolutely, like uh, last Saturday was. Um, was was brilliant by all by all accounts. Um, watching the highlights and, and in the sunshine and sixty one thousand people and uh, just mowing down Southampton like something out of Terminator. Yours is the exact opposite experience of mine at the weekend, where I was like just before going. I mean, what about Michael Beale? What, what what happened to him? I might go over to go and see some games this year. Go and get some. You know, this uh, could be good. Birmingham's okay. I mean, it's not really, but uh, I can. You can make it work. It's a nice ground. It's a very nice ground, and it's a nice flight, easy flight. Yeah, and uh, you know, but now it's like when the new manager comes in, I'll go and, Ooh, and see that. How you're feeling about it? Oh yeah, right. When the new manager comes in, okay. I mean, is it is it not like a great opportunity to go and see a man in the flesh who's won the genetic lottery twice? Who's won? You know, the the, the footballing lottery. Actually, and- I saw I saw Stevie G play against Villa. When Rafa was the manager, it was a one-all draw and Steven Gerrard was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable for about 66 minutes. And then Rafa took him off. And I was like, well, he must be injured. He must be injured. Brian Glanville asked Rafa in the press conference afterwards going, what was the story of Steven Gerrard? What was the injury? No injury. He wasn't injured. They had a strange relationship, didn't they? It was a Gerrard and always lamented that he never said well done to him. He wasn't doing what I asked of him. I were like... Strange. It was what? How did that? What are you talking about? That's the last time we were there, Jared. He Villa. was amazing. Um, that might have been. I saw Thierry Henry and Robert Pires ripped him apart. Um, so it's around that era. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. Yeah, I didn't go and see them when David O'Leary was the manager. I wasn't a big David O'Leary fan. Always worth going. That, it was like always worth going over. Um, I always think it's worth going over even to some neutral game. Oh, I've yeah. been to uh, uh, Anfield yeah. at, at recently and that was fantastic. Yeah, like as a as a neutral, you should all go and watch them sing pre- the, You'll Never Walk Alone oh, yeah. before the game. Particularly Saturday afternoon, if you can do the Saturday games, yeah. they're class. It's class, it's class. I've yeah. been a good few times to Anfield, absolute cathedral. Crystal Palace is a great ground to go to. Wolves is good fun. Any football grounds in your itinerary on? Oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I've got the Spurs Stadium done at this point, so that's it. That's, Anywhere that, else that you might the, be thinking of going to watch some football on, is there? The bucket list for Tottenham Hotspur for my entire life has been completed because I got to see the, the Spursy wall in all its glory as they uh, as they beat Arsenal last season. So that's that's my sports bucket list. Done. It's, it's Fossa this year for you. That's bust. it. Fossa or bust, exactly. I think they've uh, got a lovely ground there. And a, and a lovely part of the country. They all have lovely bottoms on. They do. Oh, there's so many bucket list things to go to. I, you know, the, I, the, it's it's a Pacific Ocean of bucket list things I love to go to soccer wise. Boca River being the number one at the Bombonera. So many, so many to see. Never been to San Siro. Never been to been to San Siro. Yeah, I was uh, I was at the old San Siro. I haven't been to the new one. I was at a game in um, Buenos Aires. Very scary. Wow. Left at halftime. Just after halftime. Very scary. The fans were so off their tits they were bouncing up and down on barbed wire. I was like, <laughs> this is not, this was is not it, what I Was it Boca River? Was it San Lorenzo de Almagro oh, okay. versus uh, River Plate? Um, 
like what, what do you mean bouncing up and down on uh, barbed wire now like, the, the fences were like yeah. really high and there's barbed wire keeping the people separate and, and they were was, okay with just hopping the top fans of. sitting on the barbed wire bouncing up and down oh my god <sighs> you should go but um, I'd, I'd gone on holidays and had uh, dyed my hair peroxide blonde and so kind of stood out a little bit as like a you know pale pasty faced oh here's the tourist in our midst the, yeah. the ultras so these tickets are really cheap. What's uh, why are they so cheap? Because like, we're in the middle of the ultras. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that that exact thing happened with me with uh, PSG last season as well. Bit like some guy in French shouting at me for having my phone out, even though he was filming. He was Instagram living, and he turned around <laughs> to me and he was like, "We really said something in French. You might not have been telling me to put my phone away." But hey, uh, we're really glad you've come here. Irlandais, no, yeah. see our culture exactly. Yeah, um, no, Gary, no. Don't buy, buy buy the expensive tickets. Basically, is is what you should do. I think. Uh, so many, so many things to go. Like I'll see, like Hamburg, San Paoli. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be that, one to go to. That I was at the World Cup semi-final in that stadium in, in Hamburg. That is unbelievable. Right. Sorry, no, in Dortmund. I haven't been to Hamburg. It was Dortmund. Dortmund. Never been to the Westfall Stadium. Never been there. Yeah, all these things to go to. That was pretty good. Right, what's going on, John? Uh, well, Rovers tonight. Uh, a lot of stake. Three-one lead into the second leg of that uh, Europa League third qualifying round tie. Not on TV. Again, Scoopy in North Macedonia, if they win, they've got a, a free shot, really, because they'll be into the Conference League uh, group stage, which would be a great adventure, and then they'd have a free shot against Carabag or Ferencvaros. So, Jack Byrne is back, 8 o'clock start Irish time. Let's hope they can do it's it. It's ridiculous it's not on TV. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous it's not on TV. I don't like this argument as well. Well, the numbers aren't great for... Uh, it's, that's not relevant. Uh, it's a public service situation. And also, we need to grow the game. And it's just, uh, why are you showing minor uh, get games? Why are we showing under-20s rugby if we can't show the Ireland team in Europe? Taxpayers' and, money is being wasted on those games when this game is actually really important. Yeah, so uh, there's always a, oh, we're showing paths. You always, you always have got to find a way. If there is a will, there there's is a way. way. There is a way. And there, is, there isn't a will, clearly. Um, so Rangers bidding to overturn a 2-0 uh, first leg deficit. They play Union uh, SG of Belgium at Ibrox night in the Champions League third qualifying round tie. Uh, 7.45 start. Liverpool, Thiago, six weeks out. So he missed, what, 14 games in the 2020-2021 season in the Premier League. He missed 13 games last season and he's gone for six weeks. That's not great. Connor Cody's gone to Everton on loan from Wolves for the season. They've got Ben Godfrey and Yerry Mina injured. Uh, Connor Laverty's got the down job, uh, replacing James McCartan. Mickey Graham handed a new two-year deal in charge of the Cavan senior footballers. Colin Collins looks like he's coming back for a tenth season yeah, as well. That's yeah, the examiner today, yeah, John Fogarty, is that? They'd be just disappointed with that Derry game, you know. Uh, it was so good to beat Ross Common, but the Derry game was a disappointment. I'm sure you've talked about Man United already. Where do you begin? Where do you begin with Man United? Uh, uh, as bad as O'Brapera as you can get um, there's only one good soap opera in Manchester and that's Coronation Street um, Adrian Rabiot like uh, so Paul Pogba goes to Juventus and then he's not the flavour of the month Rabiot and now he joins Man United and Arnautovic this headstrong 33 year old journeyman who's been at Bologna like what is going on at Man United uh, 35 points behind Man City last season and just the whole club just seems to be from top to bottom and you can't really blame Eric Ten Hag who's just in no, the No, it's definitely not Ten Hag's fault but it's very enjoyable. Avram Glazer uh, like there the other day and uh, the, just the, no connection between the ownership of the fans and it obviously seems to be from a, from a technical director from a, a transfer policy from a, the people who are making those decisions don't have the clout don't have the gravitas don't have the weight in the football market. All right. Uh, we also have very sadly um, 
Dylan Quirk being laid to rest today. So uh, our thoughts, obviously, with the family, friends, teammates of, of Dylan, who passed away last Friday. Um, so he's uh, been laid to rest in Clonalty uh, today. So Yeah, it'll be a huge funeral and it's a huge tragedy for the, the game and just for the wider sporting public. Anybody who's ever played sport knows that you go out to play the game and uh, it's such a tragedy. We send our best wishes to everybody involved or whoever knew or who had uh, any connection with the Tipperary Hurting Fraternity indeed. John, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. It's 8.57 this morning. If you want to get in touch, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can use the hashtag OTBAM. Now, we're back in Vicar Street in association with Cadbury FC. A massive roadshow coming your way on the 17th of August. That's tomorrow week. Michael Owen, Ian Wright, Emma Byrne and Karen Carney will be our guests. All of the funds that we raise on the night will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. T's and C's apply. OTBsports.com forward slash events for your tickets. Great stories, obviously, from all of them and um, a real celebration of the women's game when it comes to the evening and, of course, a preview of the 2022-2023 season, which is the season that we are in at the moment because it's just kicked off. Uh, now, we're turning our attention back to Camogie and I'm delighted to say we're joined by Kilkenny legend Anne Downey to uh, talk about the homecoming, really, of the victorious Kilkenny team at the weekend. And how are you getting on? I'm very good. Thanks very much, Cher. How was the homecoming? What what kind of um, levels of uh, celebration were there this weekend? Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, the celebrations on Sunday night went on into the early hours of the morning and I think they went out the country yesterday for a quiet drink and came back to Langton yesterday evening and there was a ferocious crowd in Kilkenny last night. I mean, as long as I've been involved now, the night lent to, I suppose, no excuses for people not turning out. Um, the last time we came home, um, 2019, it was raining and, it, you know, there was a poor crowd enough, but it was brilliant last night and really, you know, the girls deserved it. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen such a crowd, to be honest, and uh, um, the county council, you know, hosted them on the steps of the courthouse and um, barriers set up later on for the girls to come down the steps and meet all the young players and sign autographs and get photographs. So it's, uh, you know, stuff made of dreams now. It was really delighted for the girls, you know, more than deserved. It's funny because the, the homecoming for Kerry was uh, similarly feverish and uh, all went missing for a few days. Uh, but I, just, I follow a couple of hurlers, um, the Kilkenny hurlers on, on Instagram and they were all there celebrating yeah. as well. And it just mm. looked like the split season, one of the unintended consequences has been that, um, you know, the build-up wasn't great for the schools and the bunting before the football. That was one of the Michael Meehan's points. But the corollary of that in the aftermath is that kids can all stay up late because there's no school in the morning. So they get to go to the celebration. They hang out a bit more and they're making memories that will last a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, there were so many kids there last night. And I, I heard King Kenny being interviewed on the local radio yesterday evening. Um, a lot of the the village guys down at the homecoming for obviously for the for the number of girls from the village that are on the panel. Um, I met Owen Cody and Adrian Mullen on Sunday night in the hotel when we got back and, you know, it is great and I suppose there are club games going on at the moment here in Kilkenny but the lads still turned out to, to support the girls and, you know, it's I suppose that's what we've had all the years, you know, always had the support from the hurlers in Kilkenny and I suppose for the, for the girls themselves it's just great to see the hurlers there in the flesh, you know, that um, they get the recognition that the hurlers are getting and, um, you know, they're loving it and enjoying it. And I suppose that's what drives people on to stay playing Camogie. 
And, um, you know, for days like that, like Sunday and for nights like last night, you know, to know that they're appreciated because it's the one fear that we always had when we were coming back, you know, will there be anyone out to, to meet us? And you'd know the crowds that the hurlers would have been getting maybe the Monday night um, before. I often remember being training in Nolan Park on a Monday evening when the Kilkenny hurlers would be coming home and we could hear the crackers going off in town and the music going off and we would be in Nolan Park and we'd probably come home then the following week week Monday Monday and we'd be wondering well will the crowds be out for us and it's the one thing that you're worrying about. But last night really Kilkenny really showed their true colours and supported the girls and just so delighted for them. The the split season obviously um has been a topic of massive conversation and this is kind of the first year that we've seen the benefits and the the issues that might be there uh, post-COVID where there are crowds and it's kind of back to normal as, as it might be for a while. Um, what What's your instinct now about how that is working? Because there was definitely a concern that the camogie and the women's football were overshadowed up until the very end where, for example, the, the Dublin footballers limped out of the, the women's football championship at the quarterfinal stage to, to Donegal and kind of not that big a deal made of it. There was a brilliant semi-final between Kilkenny and Galway in the Camogie and not as big a deal made out of it maybe considering they're two of the three best teams. And yet at the same time, as you say, there's this massive party for the homecoming where it's clear that the attention is there. So it, what, what's your instinct about how well or otherwise it's worked? You know, I'm introducing this to be honest. I would prefer really to see that the, the Camogie is, goes back to September and the same with, uh, with the hurling. Um, even for the build-up in Kilkenny, you know, for the girls, as he said, the, the lads were beaten in the All-Ireland and the homecoming was on that Monday night and uh, the girls were after playing a brilliant game in, in Crow Park against Galway in the semi-final and there wasn't that much hype really about it, you know. I mean, maybe that suited Kilkenny. Um, there weren't <laughs> so many young players on that panel, you know, maybe it suits them that they weren't getting the attention that they could. But certainly for me, you know, I just loved, you know, the late evenings in August going to training and coming on up to September, you know, usually the second or it could be the third week in September. Um, kids were gone back to school and um, even after the All-Ireland, if you were lucky enough to win, you were visiting the schools, you know, with the cup. And um, for me, you know, I just think that players, in fairness, you know, need a little bit more time. Um, to prepare for an All-Ireland two weeks is probably not enough if you had to have a serious injury. Certainly you weren't going to get the chance to recover. Um, you know, people, a lot of the players are happy with it, I think, from what I can gather. Um, they're happy, you know, I suppose that they're not in school and um, they haven't to go back to school maybe the Monday or the Tuesday after an All-Ireland, certainly. Um, Angela being involved, you know, always should have to get the Monday off after the All-Ireland, but... Um, I would prefer, to be honest, to see it go back to September. That's my opinion. Like, is, is there an opportunity here for Camogie and for women's football to maybe use the months, the month really that's been left behind by the men's game? That if you're going into Camogie semi-final weekend, this weekend, for example, and maybe the women's final semi-finals weekend just gone, you would have had a proper build-up to the, the last four teams in both codes right after the men's competition is done. And then August becomes almost like a mini festival of football for the women's game. Yeah, I I would think that would be a great idea. Um, you know, and you you go back even to the hurling fo- uh, and the football finals have been played the weekend after. Then the lads have started their club championship here in Kilkenny, as have I think I saw Limerick were playing, Kerry were playing football the week after they won their All Ireland. 
um, Kilkenny were lucky enough. We had no club games on at the weekend. The GA board, you know, didn't have, uh, they had the games on Friday night and had the games on Saturday, which was great. But, you know, to to give the, the girls the opportunity, both in the, the camogie and the football, to give them to that, that month, as you say, to have the build-up to... Um, Let's enjoy the celebrations, be it the Limericks or the Kerrys that won the football. Let's enjoy that for the few weeks after the the August uh, All-Irelands and have that nice build-up for the girls, uh, both in, in the football. You know, give them the three weeks beforehand, um, you know, to especially the week after a semi-final, you know, to get themselves right, uh, to do their press. I mean, Kilkenny won on the Sunday. They have to have the press conference on the Tuesday to try and get that out of the way so that Brian and the lads could go back on Thursday and try and do something with the girls. And you only have Thursday and you only have Saturday or Sunday. And then you're in the week, you're into the week of the before the All-Ireland. And what can you do then? Not an awful lot. Um, you know, it was just too rushed for my mind. And even... You know, given um, the hurlers, you know, they didn't have a, a chance really, I suppose, to put in their order for their usual customary suits for the, for the weekend. I mean, it was just too tight, to be honest. Um, and again, wouldn't the hurlers love to have a, a little bit extra time to get ready for an All-Ireland? I mean, Brian Cody said it after, you know, that they won Leinster. It gave them the opportunity, you know, to have that extra week, extra few weeks to get the lads right. Um, and that's valuable time, you know, because you can't do an awful lot. Certainly, I know Brian couldn't do an awful lot the first week after the semi-final. So why not leave August, as you have suggested, to the hurlers and to the camogie players? But of course, or the, the ladies football and the camogie. I'd love to see the, the the whole thing joined up together. I'd love to see camogie all earned and the hurling all earned on the, on the one day. Will we ever get that in my lifetime? You know, but we're heading towards there. Well, it would certainly... Uh Give because there's a there is a, a school of argument that says that the inter county game has disappeared and we're handing over the coverage to other sports. It's not entirely true because there's loads of intrigue about managers and actually some of the club games. And now TG Carr have come up with the innovation at the weekend about miking up the referees and everybody's still talking about GA. But actually, what, what would work is if the camogie and women's football took over that period of time, and so there's no sense of handing over to other sports it's just just actually the women are getting it now which that should surely quell those arguments about well we're handing the the, the agenda to rugby and football it's like we're not we're actually we're, we're taking the agenda but we're just making sure that the women's game is getting its just desserts yeah and you know I mean they were talking about um, playing the All-Irelands in July to give the club players a chance you know so that the club players have um, can play hurling and football, you know, in the good season. But, you know, from what I'm seeing here in Kilkenny, a lot of the youngsters are gone away travelling. Uh, some of the clubs here uh, in Kilkenny at the weekend had to still play without some of their players because they have gone away anyway. And, you know, we're still not going to have an early championship here in Kilkenny. It's still going to be probably October or November before the county final is played. Um, but certainly, you know, you would have to have a com- coming together of the ladies football and camogie and to agree, you know, that they can work together, have August, as you have suggested, maybe for um, those semi-finals and an All-Ireland, be it even if it was the end of August. And as you said, you know, it would keep the interest there um, for the spectators. You know, what have we now? We're finished um, as you said, TG Cahar hopefully will be playing some club games and that's what we'll be looking forward to, to tuning into. 
Uh, one last question for you. Who's your player of the year? That's one of the few things that we don't know yet. Well, <laughs> I'm going to keep that, those cards close to my chest because I'm actually on the All-Star. All right, okay. so, <laughs> fair so, enough. <laughs> so we will have to have a meeting and, and suggest it. If I had my way, I'd probably be picking uh, 15 Kilkenny players. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, there's some great players over over the, the season. You know, Beth Carton comes to mind straight away from Waterford. She had a brilliant year. Um, you know, uh, Hannah Looney had a great great day on, on, on Sunday had missed a lot of the championship but um, had been there for the semi-final um, Miriam Welch Denise Gall from Kilkenny you know Katie Nolan uh, Fiona uh, Katrina Mackey you know was brilliant on Sunday as well so there's so many I haven't even mentioned the Galway player yet um, so we'll have a discussion I have my own ideas but um, at the moment Ger, I, I, I'm not at liberty to, Fair enough. to, that's, to that's tell you what's in my mind yeah. well maybe when, yeah. when the decisions yeah. are made we'll talk to you then and great yeah. stuff thanks yeah. Daniel for joining okay. us okay alright thanks Ger. thanks uh, bye. and Danny always great to um, pick the brain of a, a camogie legend um, I do think there's a fairly obvious solution to that whole oh Jesus we're giving away the whole no one's talking about GA everybody's talking about GA by the way it's like one of the best times of the year where we get to feverishly anticipate who the new managers are going to be yeah the only thing is that you're uh, pushing that forward from like October so October really is the moment where we're like Jesus we'll have nothing to talk about Uh, but there'll be county finals well yeah but what I'm saying is just now your idea of having the uh, women's I would say quarters semis and mm. finals over the next four and a half five weeks yeah yeah because like you could obviously do uh, dual cold weekends as well I think it's probably a, a great opportunity like if, if you're one of the stakeholders from either of the women's sports organisations probably make a push for it well, at this point it's like well there's a window here we'd happily hop in there like obviously there's a club game that needs to be played in women's sport as well which is the maybe the delaying factor here it's true but it's a smaller number of it's players a smaller number of be clubs, affected yeah. right and uh, if you want to grow the game to the point where you're getting the kids going and also from a commercial perspective if you're saying to the big sponsors actually now you have the sponsorship of hurling or football as the organisation comes together and, and merges which is on the cards right uh, we're going to sell those sponsorships and you're going to have still the same amount of uh, activity and possibility to activate in the middle of the summer which all of a sudden is gone for the main sponsors so the main sponsors of hurling and football no longer have any uh, intercounty action for those three months that they would have had previously right that has been an unintended consequence of this and I think Kevin Moore was writing about this in Sunday Independent a couple of weeks back um, uh, about how it's going to be more difficult to get the same amount of money for those sponsorships because they run for a much shorter period of time and you have another eight or ten or twelve weeks where you can give out tickets or have press days or whatever it is that you do right run your ad campaigns now all of a sudden you can sell these massive sponsorship deals for men's and women's sports that are an extra two and a half three months does that make perfect sense yeah no it does and like especially when the um, amalgamation of these organisations is complete as well you'd think that there'd be probably a bit more joined up thinking on that front with regards to getting more cash into the, the, the general coffers like the, the the basic point though is just trying to promote the game and I guess maybe the the argument is out there that the men's game also needs promotion as well they would feel because there's like this uh, paranoia about other sports coming in and, and stealing the limelight when it comes to soccer rugby 
Alright, 13 minutes past 9 this morning. If you've got a view on that, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. And OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. At 1 o'clock, OTB Gold is Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali. We've got a classic dad cast from 3 o'clock. The career retrospective of John Barnes at 4. And OTB Gold is Ronnie Delaney at 6. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and make sure you download the OTB Sports app for the latest in the best sports content and analysis on podcast. Now, after the break, we're live with Liverpool legend Phil Thompson about his beloved side's stuttering start to the Premier League season. OTB AM. Phil Thompson, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Looking forward to this Liverpool stuttering start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they weren't. uh, I mean, Jurgen Klopp did not seem happy in the aftermath. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll discuss it. Tell me what what um, uh, so look just to, to not beat around the bush here. Manchester City have become a, a machine at harvesting points, and so every single bit of this where you're behind just adds to a little bit of pressure. It was it's not a disaster because it's the first day of the season, but um, you know it's not great. Got you. No way you're coming from. No way you're trying to take me. We'll see. <laughs> What did you make of the performance? Not good enough. Not good enough. Complacent. Um, and I, I just think we weren't ready for Fulham. Fulham was so energised. It was, well, let's, let's save it. Let's save it for when, when we come on. Oh, yeah, no, we're on now, Phil. Sorry, we're, we're actually on. Yeah, sorry. We're back from ads. How are you doing? I'm very good. Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> well, that's good. That's Listen, good. Guys, it was... That could have gone anywhere there, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> the Listen, it just wasn't good enough. It's the And the football was great. You always felt like we still had goals in us. We could still get back in it. But it's the start. As Jürgen said, you could see by Jürgen's comments afterwards, I was more than happy with the points. I think every Liverpool fan getting sort of 15, 20 minutes into that second half, it, we hadn't even really got momentum. So to come away with it with a point, I think was right. I just think we were too complacent. I think we thought it's a team that's come up from the championship. It's, yeah, it'll be another three points. It is not like that. This, who said, I can't remember who said the words, it's unforgiving this Premier League and we weren't ready for it. But listen, stuttering starts. Well, we won We won the Community Shield the week before with an outstanding performance and yes, we have still got plenty in the locker. Any concerns about the midfield at the moment? That seems to be the one area where the team is planning to next season. I mean, certainly they're already being linked with Jude Bellingham. And now we see Thiago Silva out for, uh, sorry, Thiago Alcantara out for six weeks with the hamstring. Um, is there is there a concern that they're just a little bit light there and that maybe there might be a bit of activity in the next few weeks? Well, I would think so. As you've seen the way our football club runs, we like to we like to plan, we like to have things. We don't want knee jerk reactions to it. Um, we had to do it when we lost all the centre-backs. There had to be movement in there. We ended up going with the two uh, young lads that we had. So you look at the, mid- the Oxers out, 
Naby, I think Naby should be fit by next Monday. I think that will be all right. But Thiago is a big miss. I think he's an absolutely super player, brings so much more. We have a good blend with Fabinho, with Henderson, with his energy, with Thiago's creativity. He is just superb. For him to get injured in your first game, you go, wow. And then Curtis Jones was injured. So we are a bit light in there. But where do we put Cavallo? Where do we put Harvey Elliott? Are they strikers, wide ones, or are they midfield players? I think the more midfield players, I decided for Fabinho. So he might think he's got enough. The boy Cavallo is going to be some player, by the way. I was going to ask what's, what is the word on Carvalho because um, a massive reputation like a, a sweet deal to get him on um, is, yeah. he re- is he ready for this do you think or is it a couple of seasons before we actually see him being week in week out Premier League material because of his age because he's so young you'd think that but you have a, you have a year as he played in that championship which is a tough league physically mentally I think you come through it I've seen enough of him for Fulham, didn't watch all the games. But what he brings, and I think what Liverpool look at, as much as the goals that he brought, was his assists. And I think they're the big things that people look at. What have people got in there? Yes, you can you can help people with those, but you have to have it a la, you go back to David Beckham. People go, oh, well, look at him. Oh, he picks people up. No, he doesn't. He puts the ball in the right area four strikers and that's what Cavalier is he is going to be a star I can tell you he has got so much ability he will shock everybody so having that year in the championship I think he would be ready if he was called upon now, Not to labour the point on the midfield too much Phil but like, is there a chance that Liverpool look on this as a warning at just the right time and I mean the Thiago injury where it's like right this is going to happen at some point during the season again where we're going to be down a few bodies in midfield are our options at this moment in time good enough to take us into contention in the Premier League and maybe like maybe Carvalho and and Harvey Elliott do prove that they can be uh, title winning midfielders or, or attackers whatever they may be for Liverpool but you could also make a strong case right now that they possibly aren't and you'd wonder if Liverpool are going to get involved in some of the big midfield transfer speculation that's involved obviously Manchester United have been chasing after Frankie de Jong all summer they're going after Rabiot now I'm not saying that Liverpool are going to go for either of those players but there are clubs interested in big midfielders there are midfielders on the market and it feels like Liverpool you could make a case Phil could do it another one yeah I I think if you listen to Jürgen he said what they had eight midfield players so that seems to be plenty listen I've I've no doubt that they will be sitting around in the AXA training centre and they'll they'll be throwing things about they'll be looking at it they'll be looking at the options they do like to plan they will be having a chat with the recruitment team seeing what they've got out there as I said before they don't like sort of knee-jerk reactions the way some clubs are now getting the, mm. getting the job done early is far easier not just because you know what you've got and the fans are a little bit happier but they're doing the full pre-season with the lads they're starting to understand and you're seeing even some of the big clubs scraping around trying to get players in and even, even fans are going, where's the recruitment? Where's the plan? And I think Liverpool have that. Yes, they will. I am quite sure they will be looking at it. Will they deem it absolutely necessary? 
I'm not so sure. I guess the the plan is that they would look to someone like Jude Bellingham next summer. Is that is that your sense of where the succession is in midfield? Well, I would like to think that, and we all are. We're all putting two and two together, aren't we? But it, it's not that easy, as you've seen. The likes of Chelsea, Chelsea are spending money as though it's going out of fashion. You know, yes, they've made some good signings, but now all of a sudden, uh, you know, they spend the money. You know, Cucurella, who's a good player, who's sixty odd million, and you're going, why? And then they're just they're just throwing money about at the moment. You're thinking. Oh my goodness, is there a plan in this or they're just getting bodies through the door? You know, Manchester United, what they're trying to do. Uh, but so these teams are all going to have, they've got to start having a plan. And Bellingham will be sort of, he will tick everybody's box. And I, I'm just hoping that the link that Liverpool have, and this will have to be a, a 12 month plan mm-hmm. because you're not just going to get a Bellingham who's going to cost a lot of money. For a midfield player, he's not a striker. And I would think that plan will have to be in motion, deals done, agents, other clubs, and kept under wraps, probably from January onwards. How excited are you about Darwin Nunez? I'm very excited. And, and it's it's not just a bit what... Because we all go on about how well he played for Benfica against Liverpool because he, he tore us apart. I liken the boy to Torres. When Torres first came into Liverpool, not the Torres that left, the Torres that was hungry, he was passionate, he wanted to learn, he wanted to improve, he ran the channels, he harassed people, he was good in the air, he really wanted it massively. And I see that in this young man. He will get better because he looks as though he just wants to please everybody at the moment. But I just think he's got all those attributes and different attributes than what some of our players have got. And I think he will, <clears throat> as with Haaland, you see Haaland, what he did um, against West Ham. My goodness, the ball from uh, De Bruyne to him and, and his finish was like that Gleeson rush in the pump. And it was just fantastic. The guy's going to score goals um, and Darwin Nunes will do likewise and quite sure at Liverpool. Is there a change in style that has to happen when Mane goes? And like, how long will it take? Do you think before that settles down, or is it actually just a like for like in some ways that nothing really needs to change significantly? No, not really, because we Luis Diaz, who's unfortunate not to score at the weekend, he's he's a great signing. That he was sort of picked out, hit the ground running. We were more than happy with him. So he will play in the Mane role. You'll have Salah playing in his his role. So it will be Bobby, Bobby Firmino, who's been one of my sort of heroes of this present side. Um, He will probably be the one who will make way, but not without a fight. So you can see with Nunes, because he's not a Bobby Firmino, he doesn't drop into the hole. don't think he understands the high press at the moment. So it will take a little bit of learning, hence with him starting these, uh, the Community Shield and the first game on the bench. Can I just ask you, before we wrap up here, about um, Stephen Gerrard. Uh, at the moment, he's having a bit of trouble. OK, again, it's the, it's the opening day of the season, but the, the Villa fans are a little bit restless about um, what's going on at the moment. There's been a, a bit of bargy-bargy with Tyrone Mings, where you know Mings has become something of a, a totemic figure for the Villa fans, given how well he played 
over the last number of years and, and um, you know, it's just, it's been a difficult start for Stevie G. Is he, is he likely to come through this, do you think? Is, is, is this just how, guys, how it guys, works? Guys, it's, it is, it's how it works. It's football. Maybe you don't know, but you have to make these decisions. Stevie's in there. Um, we made this exactly the same. Whether that had something to do with Stevie making it, when we gave Stevie the captaincy, Sammy Hupia was not having the best of times. And we felt that it was necessary for Stephen to have it to move forward, the captaincy. And we did it. And I think Stephen's looked at it and he's thought to help Tyrone. And it's a tough decision. You have to make that. Same thing happened with me with Graeme Suness when Graeme Suness took my captaincy. Bob Paisley did it to get me playing better and back to me, my best. And it worked. It worked with Sammy Hoopier. And I think it'll work with Tyrone Mings. It's early in the season. And one one early, early game. Yes, the Villa fans will be upset. Stephen Gerrard's not a problem. And he it won't worry him whatsoever. He knows what he's got in the squad. And he knows what he's got to work with. He still might need a couple more players. Any uh, kind of like uh, tough words between yourself and Sunas after the captaincy was switched? Maybe one or two. Mm. <laughs> can I, I can imagine it's not easy. Like it, 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 it worked. Listen, it worked. And as, as angry as I was with Graham, with Bob, um, it worked. It had the desired effect. Maybe they, he felt that Graham needed that captaincy. Maybe things were going on behind the scenes. <laughs> but it was the main thing was was to get me back to my best, and it did. It had it, and we did. Gerard Hulier, we had the same discussion about Stephen Gerard getting the captaincy. And I said, let me explain what happened to me to Sammy Hoopier, and which it did do. And so it helps all around. Sammy's performance has improved. Stephen, as we know, what he went on to become. Um, and I'm quite sure Tyrone Mings will be better off for it. It does happen, guys, honestly. Having that sort of taken away from you, it hurts at first. But then when you start and you think about it later and your, your performances improve, the proof's in the pudding. When, when the news was broken to you that you were being relieved of the captaincy, was it straightforward? Was it a long conversation? Was it like... What? What? <laughs> Straight conversation. I flew into his office, Bob's office, um, and nearly, well, leaving the office, and they took the door off its hinges. So, yes, it was angry, and I didn't feel good. I, I, I so enjoyed the captaincy, and I loved it. Um, I wasn't happy with it. And as I say, things were going on behind the scenes, which I wasn't sort of knowing about, and that's what makes you more upset. As in, Sunis had, had gone to, um, had, had gone behind your back? Is that what you felt? Or... God. Down now, steady boys. Where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't know. Where are we going? <laughs> no, it was. It was. We didn't. We, we didn't sort of converse with each other. It, it didn't change on the pitch. We were there. We were warriors. We were fighters, and nothing bothered us. But we didn't speak for uh, quite a few weeks after it. I think about six weeks in in all. And who made peace in the end? Like, how did, how did that come about? Because you hear these stories I, now and peace never gets made. I, no, I, th- I think I think things just developed. I think things just sort of developed and we got on with it. Um, 
I think it was me getting used to it, um, him getting sort of used to it. Yeah, tricky situation because you hear about dressing rooms where the the uh, team fall, teammates fall out, and they they never speak. They, no one ever bangs heads together and says, "Lads, come on, let's just get on with this." Oh, we had, we did have that. Joe Fagan did the same thing. You've got to get on with it. And I said, "Hey, what happens on the pitch happens on the pitch." I says, "But don't tell me what I have to do off the pitch." I says, "Nobody tells me what to do," but nothing interfered with. Um, sort of going out there and fighting the fight on the pitch. As I say, the main thing was was getting the best for the team out of us. And that's what happened. No matter how much I, I liked it or disliked it, it it had that desired effect, not just uh, for me. We went, the first game was against Swansea, uh, FA Cup, third round at the Vetch. And Swansea obviously were in the top division then. And we absolutely battered them 4-0. So that tells you something. Phil, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Phil Thompson there, giving us some thoughts on a range of different things, obviously. Uh, A reminder, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, A couple of quick comments to get to. Um, Why not mention about how well the Springboks played, says uh, Tisan Govender. Um, Because we know all about that. We've dedicated our entire careers to giving... South Africa credit. There's loads of uh, similar comments about that. How I I just don't understand rugby because I haven't talked about how amazing the Springboks are. I I do think that the Springboks should just let them win this weekend, though. They yeah. Just let them win by like thirty for the, points for the greater good. Yeah, but much better idea, right? Yeah. No. I, I did, like and uh, yeah. For, uh, as we said yesterday, France not happy with this current development that New Zealand keep losing the days of puke football are over Uber defensive teams will always get found out by Kerry and Dublin who have the shooter says JP Wright and then he also says Newcastle stabilised the ship and made some shrewd signings but more to come they're organised hard to break down and will finish above United and Arsenal this year it's a bold prediction they probably will finish above United and Arsenal eventually some season I think they're going to finish above Manchester United this season maybe time will tell Sancho's the least of United's problems says Dan Delaney Put a midfield around him, which can actually deliver decent quick ball, and then you'll see a much different Sancho. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Stick him in a, an ideal situation with world-class players, and he will look like a better person. Fair enough. I mean, I would look better if I had world-class players beside me instead of you. you know? Yeah, no offense, and you still, you still do pretty well, I think. Uh, uh, for the 85 million cost, Sancho has been a failure, says Dahi Shaknasig. Which is, I mean, you know, it, it, it's true, right? Bust. You're not saying bust. But like, it's is it still a little bit too soon? Like the club has been a complete right shambles. now. He is a bust. That has that has signing has failed. He was supposed you're to change ta- you're, things. You're talking about it with like a sense of finality, as no, if right, like right now, today, as we stand. Jaden Sancho's career has been a failure so far at Manchester United. Yes, apology accepted. Everybody, who, which Manchester United player has had a successful Manchester United career in the last two seasons? Last season, he's only been there as he. Uh, Sancho joined United last season which was United's worst team in Premier League history says Thomas Hunt who might be Colin Buig's uh, pseudonym on the internet he needs time he will flourish under Ten Hag he will flourish definitely this is definitely going to happen it's definitely it's going to be okay we'll see 9.33 this morning we've got um, loads more to come Dermot Corrigan's going to join us in the latest madness at Barcelona and the Frankie de Jong situation Phil's back with deal or no deal as the transfer window finally heats up OTB AM with Gillette 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 